Hi, I'm Erica Ramirez, founder of Illy and host of What About Your Friends, a brand new show on the Ringer Podcast Network dedicated to the many lives of friendship and how it's portrayed in pop culture. Every Wednesday on the Ringer Dish Feed, I'll be talking with my best friend, Stephen Othello, and your favorites from within the Ringer and beyond about friendships on TV and movies, pop culture, and our real lives. So join me every Wednesday on the Ringer Dish Feed, where we try to answer the question TLC asked back in the day, what about your friends? Apple Card is the perfect cashback rewards credit card. Earn up to 3% daily cashback on every purchase, every day. Then grow it at 4.50% annual percentage yield when you open a savings account with Apple Card. Visit apple.co slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card subject to credit approval. Savings available to Apple Card owners subject to eligibility. Savings accounts provided by Goldman Sachs Bank USA, member FDIC. Terms apply. At Walt Disney World Resort, magic is found in spontaneity. The unplanned, the unexpected, an inside joke born in the Haunted Mansion queue, a surprise stitch sighting in Tomorrowland, watching fireworks from your room. These memories aren't made from predetermined plans, but manifested from simply being present and together in the most magical place. Find your moment at Walt Disney World Resort. I'm Sean Fennessy. I'm Amanda Dobbins. And this is The Big Picture, a conversation show about what to expect at the Academy Awards. We're just a few days away from the 95th ceremony, and Amanda and I will be predicting every single category on this episode. All 22 categories? Is that how many we've got these days? And so if you're a gambler, maybe you'll want to listen to what we say and put some dollars down. If you're not a gambler... Maybe you'll just want to win your pool with your friends in which no money changes hands. Are you excited for the Academy Awards this Sunday? I am, actually. I was listening to The Town with Matt Bellany Mm -hmm. on the Ringer Podcast Network on the way in. He has an interview with Bill Kramer, who's the new Academy CEO. CEO. Um, Janet Yang is the new president. And, you know, there was like a fair amount of... Oscar bullshit and also a lot of fun stuff. And I was like, oh, yeah, I love the Oscars. I'm a weirdo and I'm psyched about the Oscars. It was a great podcast, by the way. And I thought Bill Kramer um, handled all of the questions quite well. You know, he dodged where he needed to dodge and Matt, you know, followed up where he needed to follow up. But I give them both two thumbs up. So that interview and I think just the general aura around the show right now is that is the Academy in a good place? Are we about to have a good Oscars? There's been some pieces written about this. There's some anticipation bunch of movies that people have actually seen are competing on Sunday. Jimmy Kimmel's back. He's a safe pair of hands for this ceremony. Will this be a good show? It could be. It could also run the disaster course that you texted me about after 10 p.m. last <laughs> night. So I didn't text you again well, why until don't this we morning. Hold that? But you know what I mean? It could go really well or it could Oscar and then we're all in hell again. We're just like straight up in hell. Yeah, a special kind of hell, a yeah. think piece hell, I think you called it. Yes. We will get there. Uh, before we get into our predictions, um, well, one, I just want to say we will be covering the Academy Awards sure will. on Sunday. We will be there. Bobby Wagner is here with us in studio. He's here this week. He'll be here with us for the ceremony as well. We're going to get that show out into the universe as quickly as possible. Um, before we get into the predictions, though, I want to talk about some prop bets. So uh, you don't know what a prop bet is. <laughs> is that right? Okay, so at least when I texted this question, Bobby earnestly responded, and you just moved on without putting me on blast in public. Uh, (laughs) I texted the two of you, and I asked, what is a prop bet? And 
Bobby explained that it's just really like anything could happen. You know, like a, a bet about something that could or couldn't happen. Bobby, what, what is it? What did you say when, when Amanda asked this question? I said basically it's the, a bet on the outcome of anything that is not an award. Or like in a sporting event, it's the bet on the outcome of anything that is not the game. A prop. Okay. So for example, at the Super Bowl, there are a number of props. Bill Simmons and, and Cousin Sal Icon are, are famous for doing absurd prop bets ahead of right. the Super Bowl every year on, on Bill's show. And they'll say like, you know, who is the first person to score a touchdown? That's a prop bet. And you you decide, well, maybe it'll be the fullback on the San Francisco Giants. And then that would be like, if you hit that bet, you'd make an extraordinary amount of money. Now, unfortunately, the betting apparatus around the Academy Awards is not quite as advanced as professional football here in these United States. So we came up with a few of our own, mm-hmm. a few prop bets of our own. Now, Are you spending all your time working to change that? Are you trying to change the betting apparatus around the Oscars? Really just depends on how big this show can get. You know, if we can get to about 500 million listeners, <laughs> I think we can shift the markets. Do you think we can get there? Do you feel confident <laughs> enough in your picks for 500 million people to put money on them? I think there's only like 130 million podcast listeners in the world right now. So we got to really expand. The My globe. goal is 500 million and I will not stop until we reach that number. Um, no, I think that we can we can slowly participate in moving this whole industry towards gambling just as sports has completely moved towards gambling. Uh I want to talk about a few specific things that we're used to seeing at the Academy Awards. But let's start with this. Over-unders are a significant part of the gambling world. Last year's telecast was 222 minutes. It was very long. Now, the Oscars Mm -hmm. is always very long. Mm -hmm. Do you think that this year's show will be under 222 minutes or over that number? So 222 minutes is three hours and 42 minutes. That is some very good math. Did you know? You don't need to be sarcastic. Okay. I can do long division. The only way we can get to 500 million is sarcasm. (laughs) So just go with me on this journey. Did you notice uh, on the town during Matt Bellamy's interview with Bill Kramer, he was talking about trying to get young people to watch a three and a half hour show. And he had just internalized three and a half hours, which in some ways it's good to be honest. Mm -hmm. Like, let's be straightforward with the people. It's very hard to get this under three and a half hours. So really now it's just a question of the extra 12 minutes. They're adding the categories. They're presenting all the awards this year, which I think is good. Thank goodness. um, Because... Last year when they did it, not live, but then edited them. And last year, aside from the slap, was one of the worst Oscars that I've ever seen uh, because I wasn't alive in 1989. So I think they're doing it. They're smart to do it the other way, but it's not saving time. They're going to be doing montages. I believe there are four musical performances. Right. Oh, yeah. You saw Lady Gaga is not performing. Yeah, she's, not, she's unavailable, but Rihanna is, so is. I'm fine. David Byrne's also performing. Thank goodness. I I historically have absolutely loathed the musical performances, but this year I'm going to hold my tongue. I think I'm... 200, okay. 11.42 Eastern is when it would be done. You're like Zach Galifianakis in the Hegel meme right now. The numbers are floating around your head. Um... I'm still going to go with under. Wow. But it might be like three minutes under. Guess what? I agree with you. Yeah. I think we're going under. Okay. I think in part because Kimmel is is doing this. Yes. And I think he knows how to navigate this show very well, and he'll get us into and out of various segments. That being said, with him there, there, there may be more bits, and we're going to get mm-hmm. to that too. Next over under montages. Now, I love movie montages. You might wonder, 
why does Sean like Babylon so much? The film f- concludes with a montage of movies. Who doesn't oh love God. to see a movie montage? I don't think I anyone that. is wondering why you like Babylon so much anymore. I think you've made it known. It's a good, it's a, it's a good <clears throat> bet. Uh, so I'm, I'm putting the over under at six. Six would be a lot, I think. But there have been at least six montages in Oscars it, past. Can, I, can we drill down on what you mean? So montage, like a, not part of an, a category presentation. Correct. Like a freestanding, like we came back from commercial and now it's a montage of uh, you know people jumping out of planes yes. in cinema. Which, Take by me- the way, make that montage. Put that, I won't be mad. Well, that's the thing is like in 2005 or sometime, anytime in the last 50 years of the show, they'd be like, you know what's great is Westerns. Let's oh, just show Jesus. you all the Westerns for seven minutes. I love that. I want right. more of that. Well, I don't want a Westerns montage. That's like every day at the movies now anyway. Okay. And that's a also... Rom-coms yeah, montage. you know what? You don't have to say it like that, okay? <laughs> if you want my interest and you want me to like montages, why don't you show me something that I like, Sean? How many will there be, Amanda? I think I'm going to take the under on this as well. How many would you think it'll be? I mean, five. Okay. But I don't think it's going to be seven. I don't think so either, but I don't know. Well... I feel like there's going to be a hard reset. Do we have like a length like minimum no, it could be 30 seconds I know but what about like 15 seconds I think that would be not considered a montage okay it'd be well, hard to capture multiple images from multiple yeah, you haven't films. been on TikTok but wow it's a very good point mm-hmm. and if they're trying to capture that audience perhaps yeah. the montages are moving more quickly right and they're live streaming on TikTok they are live streaming a lot of things on TikTok and honestly everything everywhere all at once is a film that moves very quickly through yes. its montages sure so maybe to represent these changes in cinema we'll see hundreds of montages in 15-second form. That would be really exciting for me. I would absolutely hate that. <laughs> Let me say one other thing, because I believe they're, they're not like quite live casting on Facebook and TikTok, but pretty close. The speeches will be up like very quickly on Facebook and TikTok afterwards, which I think, honestly, is a good idea in the sense of at least getting the speeches in front of people where they watch them, mm-hmm. whether that helps your television ratings and thus your financial incentives long-term is a different, complicated conversation that has to do with how social media has ruined our lives. But what what happened to Instagram? Like, can you help an old person out? Like, a, a medium old person you in, mean, in me? You, because you mean TikTok just took its lunch? No, I mean, I understood saying that TikTok took its lunch, but, like, they're doing Facebook, too, for, like, the super olds. It's like, I am just, like, a 38-year-old woman who needs to shop for some, like, flats. Wow, you're and 38? Also, yeah. Wow. Is that? I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm trying to give you content right now. You want to get to 500 million people? You got to let me go on a little bit of a rant about just like, please don't forget Instagram. Like meet the middle-aged women where they mm-hmm. are. I'm going the other way. I want it on Letterboxd. That's where I well, want to be able to Well, guess what? They're also doing a Letterboxd uh, I and I have a, I have a bet ready for you for later on. Okay. I think you're taking the unders right on the montages. Yes. Over under. Seven references throughout the telecast of the Will Smith, Chris Rock slap moment from last year. Does this include acceptance speeches? Yes, everything. Any any single reference, not just jokes that Jimmy Kimmel might make. Okay. I feel like some acceptance speeches, well, I don't know. I, I'm still going to go under. I think it, it might be like five or six. I'm taking the over. You are? You yeah. think nine or ten? I, ho- I hope it's not. We got to move on. I have to, I have to be honest. The Chris Rock special that it didn't totally work for me. I thought it was fascinating because mm-hmm. that he is just mad. He's like humiliated and like angry on Maine, that which is, is like really interesting. That and, is exactly why it worked and, for me. 
I like, was like, this is truly authentic. He is still yeah, really he's upset so and pissed unprocessed. Off. Yeah. Yes. So you're right. I think it's interesting, but like that was enough for me. Yeah. I don't like need more of it in like jokey process form on the on the telecast. Just just my take. Would this have been a better or worse show if Chris Rock had hosted? Maybe worse, honestly, because okay. it would be mired in it. And mm-hmm. like even his special was what, like five minutes at the end? Well, I thought that that was a very clever construction to make us wait. But three and a half hours of it, Mm -hmm. you know, back and forth is like a lot. Plus, like, I don't know. I didn't didn't think his observations on Meghan Markle were the freshest. You know what I'm saying? So I thought it was a really mixed bag as a special. There were a couple of things that spoke to his extraordinary wealth and success and child rearing that I thought were fascinating and kind of funny. (laughs) Yes. Um, And I, I enjoyed seeing him unleashed in pain totally. on the Will Smith stuff, even if it wasn't his sharpest material. Drums, it's, please, ringing in his head was very funny, though. That was funny. <laughs> uh, he, that's a whole other podcast. Yeah. My, my feelings largely mirrored uh, Chris Ryan and Andy Greenwald's on The Watch, which yeah. is to say, Chris Rock is a big part of my cultural life. I love him. I'm always going to love watching him do comedy. He's not, he's past his prime. I say that with respect. Um, so but, are we. But we, ne- we never, we don't see people that upset. No. That are that famous, and, that are getting even, paid that much money to do something. You know that is so rare. No, it's fascinating, and that and that he screws up the joke because yes. he's so. I, it's a honestly sort of like the slap is like a fascinating like cultural like moment and insight about like celebrity Absolutely. and masculinity and like anger. But I don't want it for three and a half hours. Like that, I didn't want to live in that vibe for the length of an Oscars telecast, if you will. So that's why I say that it's better that he's not hosting. I think I might actually change my vote to specifically we'll hit seven references. So it'll be a okay. push on this bet. Well, I didn't know that was an option. Well, you're learning so much about okay. gambling. Right. I hope I haven't sent you down a rabbit hole. Um, you, you know, you got to make sure you save for your son. You know, okay. just don't make any big mistakes with gambling. Like go slow. Thank okay? you. Thanks for that advice. Okay. Next over under. 20 million viewers for this telecast. Now, last year, the show was up to 16 million viewers. How are you counting? Are we doing your Hulu plus seven or whatever? Um, I don't. However, the Academy reports on Monday afternoon, which is something that I'm sure we will talk about. Joanna Robinson will, will join us on Tuesday. We'll do a big aftermath mm-hmm. conversation about the show, about where the Oscars are at. Okay. So when we're recording that show, what is the number we will have in our hands? Under. Under 20 million. Mm-hmm. Okay. Will it be under 16 million? No. So you do you, it'll split the difference between yeah, those two. I think so. Gosh. Well, this is something I promised myself I wouldn't care about anymore. Right. And you're you're clenched up. <laughs> I just <laughs> I, I folded my clearing. arms. <laughs> it's like intense Sean fantasy. I'm upset, but I'm like hiding it body language, except I'm not hiding it. Uh, yeah. Well, I'm gonna say it's over because I wanna believe. Okay. 20.2 million viewers. But that's just for the TV telecast. I think many people will watch all of the speeches and the moments and, like, we'll talk about it. I think it will have cultural awareness and significance and definitely more than the last couple years Mm -hmm. because of the films nominated and because of the way they're rolling all this stuff out. Like, I was bitching about TikTok over Instagram, but, like, I think that's a smart idea. And I think that that, like, meets people where they are. Does that make money for the Academy? No. So that's tough. CR told me he'll be watching it on Pirate Bay. Do you think that will be counted <laughs> against the uh, the total ratings? I'm not sure. Okay, you added this one, and I think it's a good one. Yeah. Over under five references to the Academy Museum, which is, of course, you know, one of the biggest projects the mm-hmm. Academy has ever undertaken. 
I went to the Academy Museum a few weeks ago and had the time of my I'm life. I'm really jealous. I'd like to go. I put this in a little bit tongue-in-cheek because they have used this as a commercial for the construction. It's like a fundraising vehicle in years past. And I like I have seen... Does a commercial about the Academy Museum count as a montage? Absolutely. Okay, well, now maybe I should do the over on six montages, but it's too late. Wait, it counts as a montage? Oh, does it count as a montage? Yeah. I thought no, you meant no, a no, reference. No, no, no. no, no. Yeah, it doesn't yeah, count yeah, as a montage. Yeah, no, yeah, no, no. yeah. Okay, right. Well, anyway, I've seen a lot of commercials uh, during the Oscars produced by the Academy for the museum. Now it's open. It's apparently doing very well. You liked it. I'd like to go. Bobby, there's a Casablanca exhibit. If it weren't raining tomorrow, I would be like, should we play hooky and like go to... But you can't go to the exhibit until you've seen the movie. Should I just watch the movie in the morning and then go to the exhibit in the afternoon? You can, no, you can't watch it at like 9 a.m. That's... Should I, I watch it tonight? Yeah, what I mean, are you not going out tonight? You're I am in Los going Angeles. Out I'm yeah, going to dinner like, with Craig and Kaya. That's my great. Pod that's people. very sweet. Like, have like you need to have a vibe. For <laughs> we're just this. talking about my plans now. Okay. Um, I well, we're making you watch it in April for a movie swap. So don't watch it until we get closer to that episode. I'm excited to watch. You guys make it sound like it's against my will. I want to watch it. You've been saying off mic that you don't want to watch it <laughs> and that you hate movie history and any exactly. film made in the 40s is despicable to you. Um, I think under. But mm-hmm. only four references to the museum. That's that's kind of what I think. Okay. Also, this is how this is how Vegas sets these lines, right? Okay. They hear these conversations, and the experts out in the world they start talking and they start making wagers, and the lines move and they shift. So you and I are kind of like we are both the sharps and the betting line adjusters. So this is a tricky podcast we're making. here. Amanda went sharp though on you though, because going under on everything is like a thing that. It's professional betters do. It is a move. Oh, under really? on there because oh, wow. people I'm want smart. something to happen and so more people bet the over because they're like this will happen I want it to happen and they root with their heart rather than their minds. That's so exactly that was that right. was a professional masterclass. Thank I think you so maybe much. you were sandbagging it Thank about you. not knowing anything about prop bets. Let's move away from over/unders okay. a few more outstanding bets. Will Tom Cruise be sitting in the first row of the Academy Awards? Yes. Do you think that he would agree to go? If he were seated in the second or third row? I'm concerned that he doesn't want to be in the first row because if he's in the first row, now obviously when you're in the front row, you are kind of the mayor of that Academy Award ceremony. Yeah. You know, you're Jack Nicholson, you're Brad Pitt. Those are folks we've seen in the front of Meryl Streep. These people have appeared in the front row. There are often a lot of jokes at their expense and or references to their the power of their fame. Now, the latter would be appealing to Tom Cruise. The former, I'm not so sure. And what, you know, Jimmy Kimmel is a, is a friendly face for Tom Cruise. So I don't think that we're going to get anything untoward, perhaps in the way that we did at like the Golden Globes. Right. But I don't know. I, like a, an open stage, you never know what's going to happen. There's a loose environment sometimes at the Oscars. Someone during their acceptance speech could say something out of nowhere. It's a risk. I don't think that the risk diminishes if he's in the third row. I think once Tom Cruise, Tom Cruise walks into the room, he's Tom Cruise. Okay. Can, can I just can I take another detour right now? I'd like to talk with you about the rewatchables. Uh, specifically uh-huh. the Academy of This is going to be a long podcast. <laughs> you want to do, do you like, a, is this about like the entirety of the rewatchables? You, know, you said start recording and we'll work it out on the okay. pod. So, <laughs> so here we are, Sean. Um, you and Chris and Bill on the Catch Me If You Can podcast uh-huh. um, had something of a standoff about Tom Hanks versus Tom Cruise. Yeah. And when you say standoff, you mean I murdered Bill dead on that podcast with the temerity I, of my takes? I got, I got to say... You made the case, and I think that you won, but I do think that you need to publicly apologize to Tom Hanks. You were just, like, <laughs> kind of disrespectful I, in, a, in a way that is unnecessary for one of our great movie stars. I think 
I think you're right. I think okay. I, I think I was out of line. Um, yeah. It reminds me of the the aftermath of many disagreements I've had with my wife, which is to say that I don't fight fair. I fight with a severity that is unreasonable, yeah. and it's not fun to get into an argument with me. Um, I think a lot of people disagreed with me ultimately, and many people because I think that there was a lack of clarity around the argument, which was if you have not heard this podcast, who is the goat? Bill referred to Tom Hanks as the goat, and I, I he didn't say the greatest actor of all time. He I just thought he meant the greatest of all time. And to me, it's like, as far as movie stars and actors, right. and we weren't even really talking about figures from the 50s or the 60s or the 30s. We were kind of talking about the contemporary like times the of the rewatchables, yeah, you know, yes. like what the films that we focus Which on. Which is on also show. kind of the, the starting reference point yes. for this podcast because of our generation. Yes. And so, like, as soon as he said that, I was like, well, I care about Tom Cruise a lot more right now than I care about Tom Hanks in terms of the work that they're doing. Tom right. Hanks was an Elvis. Tom Cruise was in Top Gun Maverick. Right. I mean, that's not historically minded. It's n- It's not, but I think that Tom Cruise's 90s, with the exception of the Academy Awards argument, is even with Tom Hanks's. And some people might disagree with that. But Tom Cruise worked with, you know, innovative auteurs. He also made incredibly enjoyable popcorn movies. He was nominated for three Academy Awards. He probably should have won two of those Academy Awards, et cetera, et cetera. So I was bucking hard for Cruise and probably disrespecting Hanks in the face of that. I love Tom Hanks. Here's the thing. It's possible that we were both deeply wrong and I've thought about this quite a bit and it's, and it's possible that it's Leo and then Denzel and then Cruz well, and then Hanks I think Leo starts the new generation mm-hmm. I like I I think we gotta do micro generations at this point okay. and I sort of think Denzel trumps both Tom both Toms if you want to do like a like a greatest and like and and do everything both in terms of acting and the movie stardom right. and the like the CV, yeah. like and everything Denzel, that you guys like, does, were like the Iceman cometh on stage, yeah. you know, like there's he has an, an another yeah. gear there that those guys don't have. It's, I mean, it's just like different. They're different guys. They're doing different things. Mm-hmm. And and I know what Bill was referencing when he kept talking about like the Jimmy Stewart and this kind of like you know great um, great American like the everyman movie guy. Yeah. Sure, he, I also agree that Tom Cruise could not have done big and that that's a very special performance. Sure. Tom Hanks um, could not have done Top Gun Maverick. That's really true. I. I just, that's what I have to say is that you, you were rude to Tom I, Hanks. I'm sorry to Tom Hanks, who I love and will always love. Yeah. Um, let me see if I've got this right. So you said Austin Butler won, <laughs> then Tom Hanks, then Tom Cruise. Is that correct? We're going to come back to okay. that. As Don't long worry. as we're talking about the rewatchables, can I just say I wouldn't kill either of you in The Purge, just to clear up that's any really confusion nice. there? Also, Chris being like, I'm taking an Ambien and sleeping through The Purge? Like, <laughs> number one, no, you're not. Like, you're just, you're staying alert while your wife is definitely purging. I love Phoebe. She, like, she would be. But, like, no, no sleeping. I don't, I wouldn't kill you guys either. I, like, I, I liked Craig's idea of the, like, the air as a safe zone, you know, just being on a flight. <laughs> Craig's true. always looking for a creative yeah. answer to a solution <laughs> yeah. that, or to a problem okay. that everybody needs a solution to. Uh, um, Tom Cruise is, will be sitting in the front row. Okay, great answer. We've veered directly off into the unpublished podcast that we make here, which is reviews of podcasts we already make here. <laughs> That's a show we should consider uh, putting out into the world in the future. Another prop bet. Yeah. Good one from you. Video sketches featuring Kimmel and or famous people in Everything Everywhere All at Once, Avatar The Way of Water, and Elvis, among other films that are featured at this year's telecast. Right. So, But I think those three specifically. So this is something we've seen many times in the past, going back to the Billy Crystal days. And also, Jimmy Kimmel's, like, kind of Oscars I'm hosting announcement was a video sketch of him him doing Top Gun Maverick. And it's the scene where Tom Cruise goes in and meets John Hamm and Charles Parnell. Um, 
except that it was Kimmel playing uh, the Maverick character. And it was John Hamm and Charles Parnell. Mm-hmm. And I thought it was like really charming. I was just, I, I loved it. Again, I, I love Top Gun Maverick. I liked it too. I am mortified by the idea of Navi Kimmel. <laughs> well, I said, I said and or famous people. Okay. I also, you can imagine him just being himself, like trying to talk to the whale. You know, and him just being like, how do I get out of here? You know, and like, what about the tree? And just like making like water jokes. Do you think the word tulkun will be enunciated on the telecast? (laughs) That's too bad. Is Big Jim going to be there? I don't know. I I, I mean, he likes promoting his movies. Uh, He was snubbed in director, but he might show up for the others. The other awards? I don't know. I hope he's there. He produced Avatar The Way of Water. He's nominated for Best Picture. It makes sense. You know, it's probably going to win at least one award, which Mm -hmm. we'll get to. Uh, Okay. I think think there will be, I think we will have sketches like this. Um, The last prop bet before we get to our proper predictions for every category. Why don't you read this? (laughs) This is your idea. (laughs) So, as previously mentioned, the Academy has started a partnership with Letterboxd, which they're very excited about. And I'm not really sure of the particulars of this partnership, other than I do believe that there will be screenshots of Letterboxd on the telecast Uh in some embarrassing way at some point. We'll cut to commercial and be like, and now look what our favorite users on Letterboxd are saying about, you know, whatever. Um, And so I guess that's a better whatever, but I am putting money like on the line. Okay. And if... Somehow, there is a screenshot of of Sean Fennessy's Letterbox account on the Oscars telecast. I will donate $500 to the charity of your choosing. My only response to this is, that is a pitifully low number. I know. That, that, that you need to <laughs> like, step up your financial commitment to my greatness appearing on the Oscars telecast. I'm ta- I need like 5,000, 50,000. Like, get those numbers up. Those are rookie the numbers. The problem is, is that like I put this in the doc like 20 minutes ago. I thought of it this morning while I was getting ready. And I didn't have time to secure like the Spotify backing, you know, like a match situation mm-hmm. where if I donate this much, then Spotify will donate this much. And then I was like, I wonder if I could just expense it. Um, <laughs> you know? But... <laughs> I like I think that that would get in trouble in some different ways. So this is what I was willing to commit off the, you know. The thing is is like this could happen and I know you like and it would be good for charity, but mm-hmm. also I think it would be like the most hilarious embarrassing thing that's ever happened to you. So No, it would be incredible because it would confirm my status as a power user of the most I, superior social media platform. I would feel amazing because it goes to a good cause mm-hmm. and also like lull to you forever. Like, forever. That would be the funniest thing. I have no shame. If you, like, want to call it in, like, if this is, like, if there's a fix to be done here, Mm -hmm. I'm all for it, you know? Let's let's fast forward about 46 years from now. I'm on my deathbed. Okay. (laughs) Great place to start. Okay. I've made it to 86, and I'm really excited about that. That that would be a huge achievement for the fantasy clan. Uh, I'm thinking back on my life. Sure. My family is surrounding me, you know? Yeah. My child, my grandchildren, we're reflecting on a life lived, what everything I've accomplished. Okay. And in my final moments, those <laughs> final moments before the light strikes, I say to myself, my letterbox account appeared in the, oh, the 95th Oscars. Academy Awards. And I feel fulfilled. Okay. And then dawn rises right. and I ascend. Okay, that's beautiful. You're Wouldn't gonna, that be a win? That'd be a break? big W. Okay. <laughs> do I have to do a live pod after that? <laughs> 
Well, you guys are there Bobby's recording there. my final <laughs> moments. <laughs> Publishing to the since shuttered big picture feed. <laughs> That's right. We have to revive it somehow. That'll be the only revivification happening on that day. Okay. Uh, this isn't going to happen, but that'd be sick. Okay. Should we, should we predict I'm, some I'm awards? like good for it. You're good for 500 this. bucks. Thanks you know a lot. <laughs> Appreciate that. This is we're talking about the the greatest moment of my life. I just talked about the end of my corporeal I reality. Honestly, I, I don't care that much like, that I want to do it. a thousand bucks. What are you, like, you spend five hundred dollars on books every week? No, what are you talking I about? Oh, I don't. God damn it! I'm cutting back. I have to be fiscally responsible. You said I gotta save for my child. I'm. I'm. Can you cut this part out of the show? <laughs> like leave it in the show, but carve it out and send it to me in a file sure. so that I can. Give it to Knox on his 13th birthday and be like, this is what your <laughs> well, mother thinks of me. Put it in a time castle. She thinks I'm worth 500 bucks. My pure happiness, my uncut happiness is worth $500. Okay. <laughs> Just shameful. The charity of my choosing mm-hmm. is you becoming a lifetime member of Letterboxd. That's the other that thing. That is not, a, it actually needs to do someone besides <laughs> you some good. Okay? No, it's for the film community. No. Of which you are a part. All right. Okay. We'll We'll discuss. Okay. Uh, that concludes our prop bet segment, which was a huge success. Thanks to everyone for participating in that. <laughs> I hope you guys make a lot of money with those wagers. Uh, let's make some actual predictions now. Okay. So we're going to go through every category. We're going to read the nominees from every category. We haven't done this as deeply this season, and I frankly feel fine about that. Um, you mean talk about the Oscars? We'll just talk about like every category and the yeah. nuts and bolts of it. Although it has been, it is an exciting season. I think that there is an unpredictability. You and I, I'll, I'll preface this by saying, We've matched on a lot of our predictions here because some of these are deeply predictable. But there is this lingering sense of maybe something wild will happen in a couple of the big categories. So I think this will be a little chalky at the outset and then we'll get into some divergence towards the end. Yeah. On some of the categories, it's uncertain. And on some of the categories, it seems so obvious that I'm like, is it really going to go this way? Because there are always one or two surprises. And as a prognosticator, a person who makes predictions every year, mm-hmm. which is not what I thought I would be when I grow up. I It's hard to like find the surprises, mm-hmm. you know, so you're probably safer strategically picking what you think is going to happen. And if you miss one or two, you miss one or two. But I, I don't feel like I'm going to go 23 for 23 or whatever. What, what did you think you were going to be when you grew up? <laughs> What did I think I was going to be? I mean, there was a ballerina phase for sure. Oh, cool. You know what? Says now and then wait until our kids are at ballet class, you know, and you're just going to be front row cheering as they just like sit there and do one plie and then like look into the rafters like confused. I'm not mocking you. I love to dance. No, you don't. I don't love to dance, but I love dance. As do I. I really, I can't wait for it. Okay, so ballerina, then what? Um... You never, never have in I your not, life did you think I will be a profound Oscar prognosticator no, but for, have for I my not, job? Have I not told you the story about like when I was three or four? I swear I've told this on the podcast, but you know when you're little and you go to preschool and they like make you fill out those little questions, you know, mm-hmm. it's like my favorite color is whatever and something, blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. Why are we withholding that information? And then, what is your favorite color? <laughs> I guess right now it's blue. I don't know. Okay. It's not really particularly it's deep. Like what's it, what's an interesting, what's your favorite Chartreuse. color? Okay. <laughs> wow. Congratulations. <laughs> Um, anyway, so I'm, fill- I, the teacher's filling this out for me. And then on the card, it says, when I grow up, I want to be, and they wrote in my dictation, which was, I am a lawyer. <laughs> so, <laughs> facts. So there we are. Facts only. Yeah. 
<laughs> That's a true thing. Yeah. That I'll, it's funny because when I filled that out when I was three years old, I wrote in "I am a toolkun," and they were like, "Well, I don't know what that is, sir." And I was like, "Just you wait. Yeah, Forty years from now, Big okay. Jim's gonna come through." Yeah. Uh, okay, let's get into this. Best documentary short subject. Mm-hmm. This is the, we're gonna start with the short films. Uh, I, I ask this every year: Should they be doing the shorts at the Oscars at this point? No, it should be a special award. They can be yeah. Oscars, but like the, the way that they do the humanitarian awards, and maybe they should bring the humanitarian awards. That's what I back want to yes. the ceremony. But the shorts, it's just it's a different thing. Cool, I get why they want to like reward them, the future of you know filmmaking or whatever. But it's it's a separate situation. Okay, so I'll read the nominees, and we'll talk about who we think will win and who should win. So best documentary short subject, the nominees are The Elephant Whisperers, Halut, How Do You Measure a Year, The Martha Mitchell Effect, and Stranger at the Gate. Now, this is the only category of the shorts categories in which I was able to see all five films. Unfortunately, I was not able to see a couple of films. I think that's true for you as well. But so our pick here mm-hmm. is clear. Uh, so will win, I'm going The Elephant Whisperers. As am I. Should win, we also matched. So The Elephant Whispers is available on Netflix right now if anybody wants to check it out. It's about um, uh, a sort of like a family, a tribe that have a sort of special relationship with elephants. They sort of train them. They uh, live amongst them. They shepherd them into the world, um, young elephants and and large elephants. It's very well-made film, incredibly intimate um, nature documentary, effectively. Sort of, but also family documentary because it follows one couple who raise two orphaned elephants Mm -hmm. and they... Form like a like lovely connection to them. I mean, I'm not gonna. I picked this because it's feel good and also it has Netflix money behind it. Yes. Um. But you know, when they're like hugging the elephants, I'm I'm not a monster. These cute baby elephants, and, the, and one of the elephants has to go away for a little while, and then they're very sad because he's like an adolescent and he needs special care or something, and. It's very upset. They're all upset. They miss him. Let me see. I'm just checking my notes here. It says you're not a monster. Is that <laughs> is that right? No, she's a lawyer. <laughs> uh, I'm a lawyer. Yeah, and it it was it, it it was a nice one. But Halut is basically the lighthouse, but with walruses. Yeah. It's so fantastic. it's just like a, it's a peak Sean movie, um, and it's done in a cool way where they don't give you any of the exposition or the facts until the end but it's like it's like very obvious and so you both get the nature documentary but you're also piecing together why this is happening and the personal connection and the climate connection uh it was it was sad yeah i think the elephant whispers is a sort of like a conservationist film and halut is sort of a climate change Mm -hmm. film and they're both related to wildlife and um how wildlife survives and thrives in its environment. And Halut is just more tragic, honestly, but beautiful and unlike anything you've ever seen before and is worth checking out. Um, That film is like many of the films here. It is sort of produced and hosted by The New Yorker. The New Yorker has a huge influence on the shorts categories this year. They appear in every category. Most of the films that they produce are available on YouTube right now. It's kind of remarkable what they're doing in the short space. I guess The New Yorker wants an Oscar, which seems cool. And I'm a big fan of The New Yorker as, sure. a, as a publication, though I wish I could get, I still follow The New Yorker on Twitter, but I can't subscribe or I can't log in via Twitter, no matter how many times I try. And it's very frustrating. And I'm just like, could you fix it? Because I'm paying you. Whatever. They probably are not going to win an Oscar because Conde Nast does not seem to have the marketing budget that, say, Netflix does. Uh 
We shall see. I mean, maybe you know. I I don't think that they're going to, and for a very specific reason. But I, I it'll be interesting to see if that is undermined and what that means for the shorts categories. Mm-hmm. Well, and when we finish talking about them, we can talk about how they're being dominated by very specific companies right now. So let's go on to best live action short film. The nominees are an Irish Goodbye, Ivalu, Les Poupilles, Night Ride, and the suit, the Red Suitcase. So will win should win across the board. We both have Le Pupil, which I freaking loved. Yeah. So this is from um Alice Rohrwalker, who is a, a widely celebrated filmmaker, and it's produced by Alfonso, Alfonso Cuaron. Right. And streaming on Disney. Plus. And streaming so on Disney, Disney Plus Disney. and Hulu. Yeah. And so it's got money behind it. Uh so you want to talk about what this film is about? You loved it. Sure. I j- it was I wish that I had seen it before we did alternative Oscars because I would have put the kids in, like for a special <laughs> ensemble kids uh, cast. So it's about it's set at a convent, a school, convent school slash orphanage in Italy during World War II, I believe, right? That sounds right. Yeah. yeah. A- a- around that time, period piece. Uh, and it's Christmas Day, and the children are gifted a cake. And then it's like whether or not they get to eat the cake. And that really sounds like very r- simple, and it sort of is, but it's it's funny and it's sad and there's some like woman who like shows up to ask the little angels to like pray for her relationship and they're like hanging around I don't know it's really weird and whimsical and affecting and stylistically interesting like the kids like sing to camera I don't know I inventive I was charmed by it it's very charming it's beautifully well made uh Roar Walker is an Italian filmmaker as well and she she made Happy as Lazaro seven or eight years ago which was a very acclaimed film uh that appeared on Netflix and it's interesting to watch a filmmaker like that make a short after getting deep into their feature filmmaking mm-hmm. career um I, I I I actually don't know enough about why this film happened because the sort of commercial prospects of a short film are not very big historically, but nevertheless, there's so much talent behind this movie, despite, you know, I I, I thought a couple of these films were very good. Um, this one feels like a no-brainer. It feels like every single pundit is predicting that this film will win. So then that, as you said, that's available on Disney Plus and Hulu. Let's go to Best Animated Short Film. The nominees for that are The Boy, The Mole, The Fox, and The Horse, The Flying Sailor, Ice Merchants, My Year of Dicks, and an ostrich told me the world is fake, and I think I believe it. So, you love animation, so you must have been very excited to dive deep into this category. I watched four out of the five, okay. and ostrich told me the world is fake, and I think I believe it. it was not available on streaming, as best I could tell. I did find it on Vimeo, okay, but it well, may have no longer been available to you. You could have sent the link. I'm sorry. You uh, did not ask me for it. Okay, Many of point. these films are available. Yes. The, the Boy, the Mole, the Fox, and the Horse, I think... Is the odds on favorite for yeah. both of us? Um, this film's available on Apple TV Plus. It's produced by Bad Robot. It's it's been like the first thing suggested on my Apple TV for three months now. Yes, uh, I watched this with my daughter. Oh, that's and cute. She loved it. Aw, which is great. She okay. watched the entire thing. Really? Yes. Sat quietly through the whole film. Wow. And I don't know if that's a sign that it's going to win, but it's a sign that it's very present in the world, probably of a lot of the voters. And there's just a lot of money behind this movie as well. And it's based on a beloved children's book. So it feels like kind of a no-brainer. The all the four other nominees are much more transgressive or um, unusually creative executions. Uh, the Boy, the Mole, the Fox, and the Horse is a much more traditional kind of 2D animation story. It's about 30 minutes long. I thought that The Flying Sailor and Ice Merchants, which were both produced by The New Yorker, 
were like fascinating experiments in animation and are shorter and are much more compact in terms of the storytelling, even if they're like much more expensive in their ideas. Uh, my Year of Dicks is My Should Win, which is just like a profoundly strange nominee. Um, <laughs> like, I don't know how this got got across the line, but because um, it's as far from the boy, the mole, the fox, and the horse as you can possibly get. But, it, you know, it's a very personal, it felt very Richard Linklater to me. This yeah. is, is sort of um, deeply personal story about a young woman, like essentially having like a sexual awakening over time. And there's various animation styles that are used. You know, her voice and her uh, persona kind of changes as the story goes on. I thought it was really interesting. Uh, I think it has like a 0% chance of winning because it's going to turn off a lot of people. But I thought it was really good. Um, I did see an ostrich told me the world is fake and I believe it. And it was, it was like if, how, do, how did I describe this? It was, it was a meta stop motion animation movie. So like you can literally see the animator's hands in front of the camera as they're moving the pieces and then the animated figures have an awareness of the fact that they are being animated, which is a little heady, is up my alley. I enjoyed it. It probably is my second favorite of the bunch. What, what do you think should win? I also picked my Eurodix because you just got to pick like the slightly punk rock, like female centered. I'm trying to lose my virginity in five chapters weirdo story. It's it's just like it it would be cool if animation were used for more things like this as opposed to the boy, the mole, the fox and the horse, which like I'm really glad Alice. I love Alice. I want nothing more than Alice to be happy. But like I thought this sucked. Um, <laughs> second favorite for me was Ice Merchants, which I was very moved by. Ice Merchants was very cool. Um, that was the one about the father and the son living yeah. on the mountain. Yeah. yeah. That was very beautiful. Right. Um, I, I, I I think it's the Apple TV Plus thing all the so way do down. I. I think that th- this feels like an unusually predictable set of shorts, which leads me to believe that we're going to get all three of them wrong. Uh, all three of the picks that we've made for should or will win are available on Netflix, Disney Plus, and Apple TV Plus. Yeah. I wonder if that matters or not. I think it does. I would encourage people, if you haven't listened to our conversation with Van Lathan mm-hmm. about Avatar The Way of Water and Triangle of Sadness, but also about the Oscars and his experience winning an Oscar for a, a live short, of, and but about that process. And he, and he was talking about it in the context of his reaction to this nominees, this year's nominees, and the lack of Black nominees and the 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 way this system like works and doesn't work and um I thought that was valuable insight but he was like this is you get this person to sponsor this and this person to sponsor that and and we know that that's true for all the categories but especially for shorts which don't have a lot of outside awareness you know it's most people are just sitting at home click and play and then click and vote so money helps yeah money helps create awareness money helps get these films in front of people and money helps when you've got something that is visible to a wider audience. So, okay, let's move on out of the shorts and into the feature film categories. First category, we're going to talk about best costume design. The nominees are Mary Zofres for Babylon, Ruth Carter for Black Panther Wakanda Forever, Catherine Martin for Elvis, Shirley Carada for Everything Everywhere All at Once, and the great Jenny Bevan for Mrs. Harris Goes to Paris. Pretty loaded category nominees-wise. We both have the same pick for Will Win. Which is Elvis. Yes. And we have the same pick for Should Win, which is what? Black Panther, Wakanda Forever. Now, Specifically Ruth, Ruth Carter. Ruth Carter did win in this category yeah. uh, a few years back for Black Panther. I think between the Talacon and Namor and that entire other world they built, in addition to having to basically like invent 
new costumes for Angela Bassett's character, for Letitia Wright's character, especially um, with Chadwick Boseman's passing. Uh, she's one. She's been one of the best costume designers in Hollywood for going on 25 years now. I, the How do you feel about the fact that it, it feels strongly tipped towards Elvis? I just acceptance, I guess. I mean, it's amazing that Ruth Carter won for the original Black mm-hmm. Panther. And I don't think it spoils the next category to say that I kind of think that Black Panther Wakanda Forever should sweep these, the costuming, makeup, hairstyling, like all of these ideas of presentation because, it's, you know, it's a total act of imagination mm-hmm. of like bringing this whole world to life. And the it, it is so like vibrant and well thought out and to me the part of the movie that works the best is just like how great it looks and how cool right. every how, how re- one everything looks. that's and, real yes and it, and it also incorporates both references to modern fashion and the way that we all dress and look now but you know updates it or twists it for the fact that this is Wakanda which is not quite a real place yeah um so i I just think imagination trumps faithful recreation, but historically all these awards go to faithful recreation, especially period pieces, because mm-hmm. it is really hard. And to make something look like the 50s or the 60s or the 30s or, you know, whenever, um, is and, and to have, and also to recreate like people who are so visually known as in the case of Elvis, like, it, you know, you got to get it just right. And if you get it wrong, it can look like an SNL sketch or it can just, it cannot work. So it, it's a major part of the success of the movies. Plus, a lot of voters really do like Elvis. So I think this is where you'll see it. I, I, it's, don't look at me. You, I, no, you look, I, look in your own heart. No, I, I think everything that you said is very insightful. And it's not the last time we will talk about the complexity of recreation versus imagination. Right. And I think you put that well. Um, whether this is a place to reward Elvis because it won't be rewarding it elsewhere or not is interesting. Mm-hmm. You know, most Baz Luhrmann films perform very well in these below-the-line categories. Right. He is well-known for extraordinary production design and costuming and hair, um, makeup and hairstyling. And so it's not shocking. I mean, this is a this is a powerhouse category. You know, Mary Zofri's work for Babylon, I just you know saw that movie again and she t- spoke after the presentation of the screening and like the amount of work that went into the costuming for that movie is also extraordinary i mean you know jenny bevins that's probably the like the kind of lowest temperature of all the films that mm-hmm. mrs harris goes to paris but everything leslie manville wears in that film is p- part of the story right. really it's, you know you know doing doing fashion as fashion in movies can go very very wrong yes. i uh, would say it went like medium okay in yeah, the half of the movie that I saw, and then I turned it off. So you know, Roger Deakins is also being recognized this year, and yeah. Jenny Bevan and Roger Deakins being recognized for films that don't have a lot of support otherwise is one of those things where there is a kind of legacy aspect too. Okay, so you know, not to spoil best makeup and hairstyling, right. but um, I'll read the nominees: uh, Heike Merker and Linda Eisenhammerova for All Quiet on the Western Front, Naomi Don and Mike Marino and Mike Fontaine for The Batman, Camille Friend and Joel Harlow for Black Panther: Wakanda Forever. Mark Coulier, Jason Baird, and Aldo Signoretti for Elvis, Adrian Marat, Judy Chin, and Anne-Marie Bradley for The Whale. Now, many months ago, I thought this was all locked up for The Whale. And I think if this goes for The Whale, that's a big indicator of something. It is. Now, despite that, I'm still splitting this between a certain category that's coming up next. And okay. I'm saying that Elvis is going to win here. I could. This could be a, just an epic mistake on my part. but. 
I'm saying we'll win here, Elvis, as are you. Mm-hmm. I think Elvis should win in this category, and for one reason and one reason only. Elvis, a film I'm not a fan of, ends remarkably well. Yeah. With, with Fat Elvis. With Fat Elvis, yeah. And it's like the fat suit, but less offensive. Yes. If not... Well, just like... Well, yeah, it's like... It's, amazingly it's the accurately character. rendered. Yes. You know, I, I've heard many people observe this, but when you get to the end of the movie, you're like, is that actually right. Austin Elvis Bus- at the yeah. end of his life, no, or is right. it Austin Butler? It's, it's a remarkable transformation. Yeah. It speaks to Butler's performance, obviously, but it also speaks to the work that um, the folks on this film did. You think should win, as you said. Black Panther, Wakanda Forever. Just, again, for that, just the total invention. And the, and the like, seamlessness of the whole, the, of the look. Okay. Next category is Best Visual Effects. I think this is the single easiest category to yeah. predict in the entire night. The nominees are Frank Petzold, Victor Muller, Marcus Frank, and Camille Jafar for All Quiet on the Western Front. Joe LaTerry, Richard Bainham, Eric Sandon, and Daniel Barrett for Avatar The Way of Water. Dan Lemon, Russell Earle, Anders Longslands and Dominic Tui for The Batman, Jeffrey Bauman, Craig Hammack, R. Christopher White, and Dan Sudik for Black Panther Wakanda Forever, and Ryan Tudhope, Seth Hill, Brian Litson, and Scott R. Fisher for Top Gun Maverick. What's winning? Avatar The Way of Water. Yes, we agree on that, and we agree that that should be the case because they invented an entirely new technology <laughs> to make this movie. A series of technologies, honestly, and it's 13 years in the making. And is an extraordinary success. And this will be the way, specifically, the Academy recognizes Big Jim's work. Yes? I agree with you. Anything else you want to say? We both agree that it should win. Because, listen, this, that water, those whales, pretty good. Really good whales. Let's go back to um, getting the whale's brain juice. Like, if you could get a <laughs> Tulkan brain juice, like, would you drink some? In what like medium. How are you presenting the you whale just juice like, to me? You just got like a shot? No, yeah, no, no, no. You you just got finished with like a seven mile run. I don't, you know, you're I don't panting. really run seven miles anymore. I was going to say like you put it into like a rum drink like Bacardi 151 and you light it I'm on sick. fire. You okay. Know, and you kind of oh. waft it. You know what? I recently bought like a 50 pack of the little vacation umbrella mm-hmm. things that you put in drinks. Right. So I'm, I'm ready to go okay, on great. that front. You know, uh, Brad Pitt's character in Babylon memorably orders a corpse reviver mm-hmm. uh, in an early stage of right? the film. Right, yes. What yeah. if instead of absinthe, we replaced it with brain whale juice in the corpse reviver? What else is in a corpse reviver? Uh, gin, uh, Lilith Blanc, okay. orange liqueur, uh, lemon juice. Okay. I don't really think that those things are going to mask all of the the, the brain juice. Mm-hmm. Rum would go a long way, Okay, you know? Okay. So I'm going with Bobby's mixology. Congrats to Avatar The Way of Water and the Whale Brains for their win in that category. Best production design. Here are the nominees. Christian M. Goldbeck and Ernestine Hipper for All Quiet on the Western Front. Dylan Cole and Ben Proctor and Vanessa Cole for Avatar The Way of Water. Florencia Martin and, and Anthony Carlino for Babylon. Catherine Martin and Ka- Karen Murphy and Bev Dunn for Elvis. Rick Carter and Karen O'Hara for The Fablemans. This is a great day. It's a great moment for us. Uh, you know what? It's all the floor is yours. <laughs> Babylon should win mm-hmm. and will win. Yes. And I just want to say at the screening I attended, Damien Chazelle was working very, very hard to get people to recognize the work of Florencia Martin and Anthony Carlino. They were both there and he interviewed them. That was the purpose really of the screening was he interviewed the craftspeople who were nominated at the Academy Awards in three categories. And 
he kind of in painstaking fashion made them explain everything that they did to build this world. And it sounded very unpleasant. It yeah. sounded very hard. <laughs> and it was very successful, uh, I think, in making us understand the world. Now, how like races like this get to these moments of conclusion where it just seems obvious that certain films are going to win despite the fact that like, you know, All Quiet on the Western Front for all of its achievements, it has amazing production design as mm-hmm. well on the battlefields and the back rooms in all of the different things that we see. I, the back rooms look a little bit like someone, you know, borrowed a library lamp on and put it on a set, <laughs> to be quite honest. But the trenches were very good. They were very good. Uh, Elvis, too. I thought Elvis had yeah, excellent production design. Of course. They rebuilt Graceland. So it's like, how do we get to a place where it's like so obvious that Elvis is going to win for makeup and hairstyling, but not for production design? I don't really know. Um, I don't know if it's that, you know, there's a lot of admiration for what F- Flo Martin does, but... Um, it does feel like it's going hard Babylon here. I do think it had some guild wins, right? It did have some guild wins. It had wins. some guild wins. And then also, again, that idea of period piece, like reconstruction, just really does appeal to people, which obviously Elvis and All Quiet on the Western Front also have. But I I don't know. I, All Quiet on the Western Front seems in like a different brain category than just like opulent costs, you know? I agree. And there is a there is a, an amount of, a kind of collision between digital effects and production right. design in that film that say is not a huge part of the Babylon storytelling. And so, the, you know, in the same way that visual effects is a way to recognize Avatar, this is a way to recognize Babylon. Will it be the last time we recognize Babylon? We shall see. I feel like sometimes a narrative starts with the movie based on the first thing that people notice about it when mm-hmm. they see it. And mm-hmm. Babylon, that like 30 minutes at the beginning, it's it so true. much... Yes production and set design. Absolutely. And then they build sets throughout the movie too. So it's just there present from the very beginning. I think that's exactly right. And to Amanda's earlier point about period pieces often doing well in the costume categories, that's also true for this category. Okay. Best sound. The nominees are Victor Prossel, Frank Cruz, Marcus Stemmler, Lars Ginzel, and Stefan Korta for All Quiet on the Western Front. Julian Howarth, Gwendolyn Yates-Whittle, Dick Bernstein, Christopher Boyas, Gary Summers, and Michael Hedges for Avatar The Way of Water, Stuart Wilson, William Files, Douglas Murray, and Andy Nelson for The Batman, David Lee, Wayne Pashley, Andy Nelson, and Michael Keller for Elvis, Mike Weingarten, James H. Mather, Al Nelson, Chris Burden, and Mark Taylor for Top Gun Maverick. They've combined the two sound categories in recent years, and that's why there are so many people nominated for these awards. It's not just sound editing and sound mixing. It's the whole kit and caboodle around sound. So, what's going what, what's gonna to win? Top Gun Maverick. Not just because we like it. It it won both of the Guild Awards, both the Cinema Audio Society and the Motion Picture Society or something. And yeah, that one. I agree. And I think that it should win. But you say no. Well, I think Tar should have been nominated and and win in this category, (laughs) but it's not nominated. So I think Top Gun Maverick should win. Because it's a much more, you know, Top Gun Maverick is a very loud film. Yes. You know, it's an immersive, expansive version of sound. Right. But Tar it's, is a is but it's, shrunk down. Well, it's hard, but it's hard to do. It's it it's quiet, but like the sound of her going through the tunnel and the buzzing. There there is like a design to the articulated, um, and like carefully managed world that she lives in, and then also incorporating all of the music that I think is like pretty impressive, if subtle. But the the, the mo- there's been a lot of talk about that movie and sort of like the ending and whether you know when she enters that tunnel space and how yeah. the story shifts. But to me, the moment when the story shifts is when she's off for a run in the park mm-hmm. and she hears a scream. Yes. yeah. And then she turns and there's that shot on her face from a middle distance. And we almost like see her psyche collapsing in real time. Yeah. And that is that is a product of the sound, right? Yes. Um, it's not nominated though, so it I can't know. win. Top Gun Maverick. I love win. Top Gun Maverick. Okay. One of my favorite categories coming up here. Best original score. Here are the nominees. Volker Bertelman for All Quiet on the Western Front. 
Justin Hurwitz for Babylon, Carter Burwell for the Banshees of Inisherin, Sun Lux for Everything Everywhere All at Once, and the legendary John Williams for the Fablemans. So we have a split here, finally. Mm-hmm. I think Babylon's going to win. I think Hurwitz is going to win. I think that it's good to believe in things that you love and to say it out loud. And I also think that the Babylon score should win. I was I was going back and forth on this because I think the score from All Quiet on the Western Front is the best part of the film mm-hmm. and is like very memorable and interesting. Um, and I picked it to win because uh, people like that movie, especially mm-hmm. like old people. Um, it's nominated up and down across the board. It did win score at the BAFTAs. Um, Babylon's score is wonderful by Justin Hurwitz, but I, I am still really engaged by how that score interacts with the La La Land score. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it's like, to me, the most interesting and most accomplished part of the movie. Uh, and I could do spend a lot of time wondering about some of the psychology of all of that. And, and I have actually, but it's, I mean, it's a beautiful score on its own and then what it does in conversation with like past work and what that adds to the, the film to me is impressive. The ongoing collaboration between Hurwitz and Chazelle is very interesting. And in fact, I think in many ways resembles what Spielberg and John Williams have been doing for a mm-hmm. very long yes. time. And that seems like a very purposeful thing. Um, I think you're right that the Babylon score is in conversation with the La La Land score yeah. and there's sort of like reflections of it throughout. One of the criticisms you see of Babylon is that that score is overdeployed in the film, that it's used too often. Um, I think that, that that's obviously by design to kind yeah. of like the exasperation of this crazy story is part of the way you're meant to feel and the cues for each character is very purposeful. You know, Hurwitz has been nominated three times in different categories for original song and for score. He won for score for La La Land. He hasn't been nominated for First Man. He wasn't nominated for First Man. I think there's a lot of admiration for him, but I think you're right that there is a kind of a sense of innovation in the way that there is this kind of um, anachronistic synth style used in the All Quiet on the Western Front score that people may want to recognize here. I don't know. If it, All Quiet wins, I won't be shocked, but I'm, I'm, you got to pick a couple that are just I, like, this is what I want to happen. I think it's great. That's, okay. I, that's how I started this category okay. with you. Uh, best original song. A nonsense category. It's silly, but it's better this year than it, it is. It is better than this year just because the concept of let's get really famous people you like at the Oscars worked. They didn't quite nail it. Like there was a chance to get like the weekend involved here. There was a chance to get uh, who else? Uh, I think like Ryan Reynolds and Will Ferrell could have been nominated in this category okay. for Spirited. That didn't happen. <laughs> yeah, despite um, your write-in campaign and I'm, aggressive uh, to Leslie campaign. But here's the here's <laughs> the thing about that though, and I'll read the I'll read the nominees, and you'll see like how ridiculous some of these nominees are historically. Diane Warren is yet again nominated, the the Susan Lucci of the Academy Awards mm-hmm. for a song called "Applause" that I've never heard from a movie called "Tell It Like a Woman" that I've never seen. "Tell It Like a Woman" does not have a Rotten Tomatoes review. Has anyone seen Tell It Like a Woman? Here are the other nominees. Uh, From Top Gun Maverick, music and lyric by Lady Gaga and Blood Pop, Hold My Hand. From Black Panther Wakanda Forever, music by Thames, Rihanna, Ryan Coogler, and Ludwig Granson, lyric by Thames and Ryan Coogler, Lift Me Up. From RRR, music by M.M. Kiravani, lyric by Chandra Bose, Natu Natu. From Everything Everywhere All at Once, music by Ryan Lott, David Byrne, and Mitski, lyric by Ryan Lott and David Byrne, This Is a Life. Pretty close to lockdown on this category, too. And I think we agree, although it's an interesting conversation, 
You know, Ryan Coogler has been nominated for like three different Academy Awards, but never in Best Director. What else is that? Screenplay, I assume? Screenplay and uh, Best Picture. He's a producer. Oh, right. Of course. For Black Panther. For um, I think Ryan Coogler deserves many Oscars. Okay. I don't know if he needs Best Original Song first. Okay. Um, primarily because I think that this is a BS category that uh, usually is filled with nominees of songs that play at the end. And I love an end credit song. Mm-hmm. You know, the Will Smith remix, one of the great moments of my life. So was the original Men in Black, you know, like that, you know, we used to build things, et cetera. We used to have Will Smith just singing yeah. a credit song. We used to be a proper country sure. where Will Smith wouldn't right. physically exactly. just things, assault people things on stage at the Oscars. But it's not, you know, that's just tacked on. That doesn't really count. I Not to not to is within the fabric of the film RRR because RRR is like a three-hour musical extravaganza. It's also like very memorable and exciting. Um, The choreography has a lot to do with that, but I'm choosing to interpret this nomination as like a nomination for the entire number, you know, and which I thought was exhilarating. So I think it will win because Netflix put a lot of money behind this movie and this is their nomination. Uh, and I'm also giving it should win because at least it's like, number one, it's good. And it's also like part of the film. I think uh, it's a no brainer that it's going to win and it should win. And, you know, it's representative of, again, like a kind of movie. It's important in a year like this. And we'll talk about it as we get further into these categories. But a Tollywood film that has a long history of musical numbers like this. Mm-hmm. There's no category for best choreography. Right. Sometimes movies win in this category because of what you just said, that it's the song and it's also the scene and it's how it's deployed. This is a case where I feel like that is true. I think that that's how it should be awarded. This isn't the Grammys. You can go win a Grammy. You know, I'm sure somebody will. This episode is brought to you by Mint Mobile. If you want to save money this year, I have a simple, surefire way to do it. Switch to Mint Mobile. For a limited time, their wireless plans are $15 a month when you purchase a three-month plan. That's unlimited talk, text, and data for $15 a month. To get this new customer offer, go to mintmobile.com slash bigpick. That's mintmobile.com slash bigpick. Additional taxes, fees, and restrictions apply. See Mint Mobile for details. This episode is brought to you by Peppa Pig. Peppa Pig inspires people of all ages to jump through life and its muddy puddles with enthusiasm. The relatable stories, oinks, and giggles have made her preschooler's first best friend, helping them navigate everyday life with unabashed exuberance. And now you can discover new playtime adventures with your little ones. Jump into spring and hunt for muddy puddles in Peppa's caravan playset. Hit the road for endless adventures and have heaps of fun with Peppa's whole family. Oinks and giggles are guaranteed. Peppa Pig, inspiring kid confidence since 2004. Peppa Pig is a trademark of Hasbro created by Mark Baker and Neville Astley. This episode is brought to you by BetterHelp. A lot of us spend our lives wishing we had more time. The question is, time for what? If time was unlimited, how would you use it? Would I try to squeeze in an extra movie? Maybe try to read a book? The best way to squeeze that special thing in your schedule is to know what's important to you so that you can make it a priority. And therapy can help you figure that out. A therapist can guide you through the process of defining your values and understanding your priorities so you know what things you can spend your time on that will really fulfill you. Otherwise, you'll always be wishing for more time. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. Learn how to make time for what makes you happy with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash Big Picture today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp. 
H E L P dot com slash big picture. Next category, best animated okay. film. Nominees are Guillermo del Toro's Pinocchio, Marcel the Shell with Shoes on. That's right. Puss in Boots, The Last Wish, The Sea Beast, and Turning Red. Ciao, Papa. Me, Papa. We have. Uh, that was so Ciao, glorious in person. Papa. I was on Zoom I'm last time. I'm a fascist. <laughs> da, 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 so you da, watched da. it? Yeah, I watched it. I do my homework. Okay, so what'd you think? I mean, goblins. This is terrifying. <laughs> All of these figures are incredibly scary. And like and menacing, which I think fascists should be, you know. But I'm also just like, wow, yes. just like Il Duce in the mix with four year olds. Yes. Sure, this film features Mussolini. Yeah, that's a fact. Okay. Uh, my wife and I went on one of our vanishingly few date nights since our daughter was born to go see this movie, the premiere at AFI, and afterwards she, she was like, "So, uh, you didn't tell me this was set during." The fascist regime of Italy. <laughs> we weren't expecting also, that. Right. Nor was I but when I fired have. it up. We should have because it's a Guillermo del Toro movie. And of course, most of his movies are about the reign of fascism in countries throughout history. That is a theme that he returns to over and over again. All right. That inflects a lot of his stories. I think we both know in our hearts that this movie's going to win Best Animated Feature. Del Toro has been working very hard on the campaign trail. Yeah. He is widely admired. He, of course, Everyone won Best him. Picture. Yeah. He's, you know. He is um, one of the true ambassadors of cinema. It's a really interesting year for this category because you've got a Pixar movie, which historically usually dominates in Turning Red. You've got a Netflix animated feature. They're getting increasingly um, respected in the space of animation. They've spent a lot of money. They put out a lot of films. They've been nominated in this category a couple of times now. Puss in Boots, The Last Wish, which I wasn't really that crazy about, but it's probably the movie that I've gotten the most blowback on my opinion about since like Inception, where people are like, you fucking idiot, you don't understand the masterpiece of Puss in Boots, which is a sequel spinoff from the Shrek series. And the original Puss in Boots film came out like nine years ago. Did you see this Isn't movie? Is it a Bob? prequel? No, I didn't see it. I, I thought it was a prequel spinoff. I, yes, you're right. Well, we're going to have this conversation again when we talk about Scream and the, how confusing Banderas it is. Banderas is just very movies. powerful. I don't know what to say. He's good in the film. I liked his vo voice performance. You didn't watch this one? So I really tried to watch everything. Uh -huh. And that's hence me watching Pinocchio at like mm -hmm. 10 in the morning and texting you about fascism. <laughs> and I got at like 9.13 last night, I fired it up and I was like, am I going to pay 20 bucks to rent Puss in Boots The Last Wish when I don't think it's going to win? And I don't think I'm going to think it should win. And so I didn't rent. I didn't rent it. Did you know it's like one of the box office successes? I did. Of the I year? did know that. Yeah. I, so that's why I was along. hoping that it was. All of my you know, friends streaming. love this movie. I still have I not think, seen it. I think that's sick. I, I think you're younger than me, and you have a relationship to Shrek that I don't. Shrek um, is amazing. Yeah, amazing. You, film. you and Al Pacino agree. I don't really. That's, <laughs> <laughs> Al Pacino loves Shrek. Uh, I let's let's come back to Shrek one day on this okay. podcast. Okay. Uh, Sounds good. Maybe maybe Shrek will be the film that you trade to Amanda in our movie swap. I've seen Shrek. But you need to revisit it with an open heart okay. and an open I mean, mind. Or maybe know, it's, it's just like, Puss in Boots like The Last Wish. It's like a fairy wish. tale. That's fine. With, well with, put. That's yeah. why they pay you the big bucks. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> Shrek I, is like a fairy tale. <laughs> <laughs> I will say I also uh, tried watching The Sea Beast. I was like, I'm going to do it. Oh, I like that one. I made it three minutes and 49 yeah, seconds. Yeah. And I was like, I absolutely, I need to watch another episode of Daisy Jones and the Six. I can't be, that. my life is too short. The real fascist is you. That's I, the truth. I, Have a little fun. I literally 
can sing Chow Papa and did on a podcast. What more do you want from me? I'm trying. I'm meeting you where I can. I appreciate it. So I think that uh, Turning Red should win. Turning Red was my favorite animated movie. I really liked Turning Red, but since you put that for should win, I put Marcel the Shell with shoes on, which I loved. You did? Yeah. good. Were you a fan of the viral film? Yeah, that was like when I was just living inside the internet like Marcel. Um, but I thought it was very charming. And then I thought, I honestly thought I would like watch part of it and be like, okay, I get the gist because I, you know, the Pinocchio is going to win this award. And yep. I was like, I don't have to do it's that much. Roller. And then I just finished Marcel because I wanted to watch all of it. And I thought it was very moving. It's nice. It's like 82 yeah. minutes. It's a little slight in my opinion, but it's nice. It's well done. Yeah. I have a heart, Sean. It's also like, I like that we're doing something other than animated movies for Agree. kids. In, in this category and just in general. Like, I, honestly, that is the best argument for getting me, a person who hates cartoons, interested in this category is make stuff other than, you know, baby movies. It's a it's a major evolution if you look at the animation styles in all five films. They're all different. Yeah. Turning Red is digitally animated Pixar. The Sea Beast is a classical 2D animation story. Uh, Marcel Deschelles' Shoes On is both live action and stop motion animation and yeah. CGI together. And of course, Pinocchio is a classic stop motion animation movie. So it's it's a cool representation. The only thing that is really missing in this category for me is Apollo 10 and a half, which is the rotoscoping style that um, Richard Linklater has been, you know, uh, innovating on for 20 years now. So cool category, Pinocchio is going to win. Best international feature film. The nominees are All Quiet on the Western Front from Germany, Argentina 1985 from Argentina, Close from Belgium, EO from Poland and The Quiet Girl from Ireland. See all these films? I did. You want to talk about The Quiet Girl? Yeah. I, I, uh, <laughs> uh, it's a film about a couple named Sean and Eileen who welcome a little girl into their life. Right. What? <laughs> That's, for those of you who are not following that closely, Sean's wife is also named Eileen and they recently uh, had, a, had a daughter. Yeah. Um, I thought this was a lovely film. I This was one of the ones that I saw kind of in my cram period before this. Um, so it is part of a large number of films about losing a child and then trying to deal with that loss and that transference in some way, which was, it was it's been an intense 48 hours for me in terms of consuming all of this theme. content. It's a big theme um that's just very quickly like we we talked about this a lot in the in the aftermath of the birth of both of our children yeah you don't really realize that it's like 50 percent of movies yes. are about people who had kids and or at least like thinking about the idea of having a family and how you know it's it's under it's legible to you like mm-hmm. bobby you don't have children it's legible to you when you're watching a movie yeah. okay movies are yeah. about families but like it is the bedrock of of so much storytelling and so much storytelling that is recognized at a things like the Academy right. Awards. And this is no different. Yes. I thought this one was very moving, but I don't think it's going to win. It's and not going to win. It's a very yeah. small movie. Absolutely pulverizing final five minutes for me. God. Yeah. Like extraordinarily like, wow, crushed yes. me right in the center of my chest. Yes. Um, very, very sweet film. Uh, I would not say innovative, but it's a kind of a miracle that it got in over movies like Decision to Leave or Bardo. You know, much bigger productions from you know, masters, you know, mm-hmm. the, this is not that kind of a film. Uh, All Quiet on the Western Front, I think we can both agree, is far and away dominant. This is like the fifth or sixth category we've talked about where it's sort of like there's no chance it wins. Now, we saw Argentina 1985 win at the Golden Globes, which right. is a big surprise. All Quiet on the Western Front dominated BAFTA, which makes it pretty clear that this is going to win, but we'll see. 
And it is also nominated in Best Picture in so many other categories Correct. that people are... This is the place to to recognize it. Yes. Um, I loved EO. I thought mm-hmm. it was a, a really uh, a fascinating experiment. And its recognition, I think, is really interesting for this part, branch of the Academy. You know, Yerzy Skolomowski is like 90 years old and, and made this film, you know, about a donkey kind of experiencing the world, much like some of the shorts categories. It's a sort of conservationist story, a story about kind of like humanity and how we treat other creatures. Really beautiful, but very experimental and not... Um, it doesn't have the kind of like traditional style of something like Argentina 1985. Um, so I think it would be interesting to recognize a movie like this. It's not going to, it has yeah. no chance to win. But I like the movie that you think should win too. I chose Close. I chose the coming of age drama, of course. Um, uh, directed by Lucas Dant, who you had on your podcast, on this podcast. Yeah, and our podcast. Tar- yeah, our po- I know, but you did the interview. And it was, um, very charming. Uh, this is a Belgian movie, um, star with one of the most incredible, like, kid... And I think kid is unfair because it, it is about a teenager, but Eden Dembrin is the is the actor, and it's about him going through a, a tragic loss of his own. Um, and just the the perspective and the, the stillness and the way that what he is feeling or working through is conveyed is, like, pretty astonishing and very moving. It's a wonderful film, very, very well made, and amazing performances. And it has no chance to win. <laughs> uh, okay, best documentary feature. The nominees are All That Breathes, Fire of Love, A House Made of Splinters, Navalny, and All the Beauty and the Bloodshed. So we both picked Navalny. Mm-hmm. It won at the PGAs. It did win at the PGAs. And, and it, it also won at the BAFTAs. There is a sense that it is the movie for our times because of the conflict between Ukraine and Russia. Right. And the fact that it spotlights Alexei Navalny, who is this, you know, kind of defiantly political dissident figure who, um, you know, challenges Vladimir Putin and then suffers the consequences of challenging Vladimir yes. Putin as a political candidate. I loved this movie out of Sundance 2022. Uh, I thought it was very well made, like sort of like a spy thriller. Mm-hmm. And I, has some pretty incredible, like, fly on the wall, I can't believe that this is happening in real time moments. There is one sequence in particular that is worth the price of admission. Yes. That is like a, amazing catching someone in the act of doing something moment that mm-hmm. is great. Uh, All the Beauty and the Bloodshed was was one of my five favorite films last year. I think Laura Poitras is like one of the most important filmmakers of the last 30 years. I think this is a very different kind of film for her, but is very much in keeping with the kinds of stories that she tells uh, about Nan Golden, the uh, photographer and artist. I don't really know what's going to happen in this category is what I'm going to say. This is a weird branch. These nominees are a little bit strange. I have noticed that a lot of pundits have been picking Fire of Love. Right. Um, which is a, you know, largely archival feature about a couple of volcanologists who travel the world exploring volcanoes that has certainly a power and a profundity to it, but is unusual against the, I don't know, the sort of like urgency and necessity of a movie like Navalny or even All the Beauty and the Bloodshed, which is also about um, a kind of opioid crisis in America. All the Beauty and Bloodshed is a movie for our times, but in, I think, a more personal and like it artistic, um, literally and figuratively, um, and surprising way in if, um, whereas Navalny is just kind of like, here is a, you know what the viewpoint is and you know, like why this person's interesting and you understand like everything is, it's like a textbook. Yes. It feels a little closer to Icarus, which was a winner uh, some years back about, um, 
the scientist who you know helped Russians win in the Olympics and then became like a exiled. Slicker than Icarus, also. It I, is. M- my note about Navalny is like I, I wish that it had more context about Navalny himself. It it is clearly done, if not with his production like input, then with from from his point of view. And I, you know, as a as an American, I don't have that much. I don't know that much about him. Well, one of the things that I like about it is something that might turn people off, which is that it is not an entirely praiseworthy portrait of him. You know, it, it identifies that like he used some factions of Russian voters that are maybe a little bit more unseemly. That right. it was like a white nationalist streak among some of the voters that followed him. That is a little ugly. And the the movie is tricky because he's very charismatic, and so you want to root for him. And we know Putin to be this kind of strong man right. demagogue. But it's so closely told from his perspective, though, which is like necessary and yields some like incredible footage. But I'm also like, you know, I would like to I would have appreciated like a bit more distance Mm -hmm, and a mm -hmm. bit. Anyway, um, can I just say one other thing? Yeah. If all that breathes wins, I won't be surprised at all because this is the category where my octopus teacher won. And this is that's a movie about um, a couple of brothers uh, in New Delhi who are sort of caring after this community of birds that is being pushed out because of climate change and a number of other reasons, and one bird in particular, um, this majestic kite that they are caring for. Movies like this tend to resonate yeah. with the Academy, and so I wouldn't be shocked. This is a real toss-up. I don't really feel good about anything on the, in, in this category in terms of putting money on it. Okay, let's go to some really consequential categories now. Mm-hmm. These are sort of like the big 10 that we're going through. Best film editing. The nominees are Michael E.G. Nielsen for The Banshees of Inisherin, Matt Villa and Jonathan Redmond for Elvis, Paul Rogers for Everything Everywhere All at Once, Monica Willey for Tar, and Eddie Hamilton for Top Gun Maverick. Now, we've both chosen Paul Rogers for E-E-A-A-O. Everything Everywhere. Everything Everywhere All at Once. I don't feel great about this pick. Why not? I think Eddie Hamilton could win, and he is my pick for who should win. Okay for his work on Top Gun Maverick. Eddie Hamilton, very respected, a very gifted editor who's worked with Macquarie uh, many times in the past. Long relationship with Tom Cruise. This is a way to recognize Top Gun Maverick beyond sound. However, this category is usually very indicative of where the best picture race is going. And No spoilers, but we think it's going... not towards Top Gun Maverick's way. We do not think that. Now, I'm choosing Everything Everywhere to win. And I think Top Gun should win. But if it wins, I won't be surprised, is all I'm saying. What do you think should win? I think Tar should win. You cannot start without me. <laughs> you know? Like, you, want, we can do the whole speech, but it is, I mean, it's about time and precision and what you know when you know it in that movie and, the, and, and what you're seeing and what you're cutting and the expressions. It's very, very precise and it doesn't work if it isn't perfectly calibrated. I so. agree. It's a great pick. Thank you. Good category. Good collection of nominees in that category. Yeah. Uh, okay, let's go to Best Cinematography. The nominees are James Friend for All Quiet on the Western Front, Darius Kanji for Bardo, False Chronicle of a Handful of Truths, Mandy Walker for Elvis, just the third woman nominated in this category in Oscars history. Remarkable. Roger Deakins for Empire of Light. He has been nominated many times. And Florian Hoffmeister for Tar. Who do you think is going to win? All Quiet on the Western Front. As do I. James Friend. You know, the... The, the people with their cameras, they they love some some warfare. They do love They love war. some trenches. Yeah. They love, Battle you know, sequences. some things exploding various yeah. places and people running and it being harrowing and, and visceral. 
Congratulations. Who do you think should win? Florian Hoffmeister for Tar. Yeah, me too. Same, the, the same thing as as before. It's so that just movie uses like every tool in the toolbox so specifically towards its purpose. Mm-hmm. Um and also looks amazing. So people were very surprised that Claudio Miranda was not nominated for Top Gun Maverick in this category. Mm-hmm. I think at the start of award season, there was a sense that he was going to run away with this. But I think also nobody saw the All Quiet on the Western Front thing happening. Yeah. It's kind of... <sighs> we're going to get to that. Let's let's keep going because I want to talk more about All Quiet. Best Adapted Screenplay. Nominees are All Quiet on the Western Front, screenplay by Edward Berger, Leslie Patterson, and Ian Stokel. Glass, Onion, and Knives Out Mysteries, written by Ryan Johnson. Living, written by Kazuo Ishiguro. Top Gun Maverick, screenplay by Aaron Kruger and Eric Warren Singer and Christopher McQuarrie. Story by Peter Craig and Justin Marks. And Women Talking, screenplay by Sarah Polly. Sarah Polly's going to win this. Yes. In the grand tradition of giving a woman, or giving someone you like, but not that much, a screenplay award and nothing else. She won the USC Scripter Award. She won the WGA yeah. Award. She's won the Precursors. Sarah Polly is widely respected. This film is very respected, and you know how you know how. It got nominated for Best Picture, despite the fact that it's a very small movie. I think it should win, too. Now, I think my appreciation for this movie exceeds yours. <laughs> and uh, I, I, I'm not saying anything. I haven't read the I like Sarah Polly a lot, okay. and I think she deserves an Oscar. Um, it We're going to do preferential ballots later. It and, is, <laughs> damn. Yeah. Sheesh. Well, uh, I, I think that. It's not easy to do something like this. And I think that she did it successfully. People may disagree. It's a very speechy movie. And mm-hmm. it feels very speechy and stagey right. at times. But for me, that worked. Yes. And I felt connected to the characters and understood their points of view. Um, what do you think should win? Top Gun Maverick. They, is, it's a horrible take. They did it. Fuck off. What's wrong with you? <laughs> uh, I mean, what? It, it's it, a brilliant structure with pretty mediocre dialogue. It's my take. Uh, but the... <laughs> I think that's unfair because you need you need broad dialogue in Top uh-huh. Gun Maverick. And I think it walks the line between hitting all of those like emotions in the really, really accessible strokes mm-hmm. of it. Uh, you know, we talked a lot about the dialogue um, in Avatar Way of Water with Van. And I think that doesn't pass the test. Like no one thought about it at all. But this. Tugs, I wouldn't say that. But yeah. okay. <laughs> well, they didn't think no about it. No one thought about it at all. <laughs> Not not enough. It was an afterthought. Okay. How about that? Okay. It's not nominated. And this at least it it lands the it lands the plane, Ayo. Sean. Hey. Um, That's podcasting for you. Five hundred million. <laughs> Plus the, I don't know, they reanimated this like not that good movie from the eighties and made it like structurally like exhilarating, but also emotionally affecting. Wow, so, should Top Gun Maverick win the adapted screenplay? I don't know if it should win, but it definitely belongs here. I mean, it's it, a weird category. Oh, screenplay is not just dialogue. Why, like why don't you guys tell me more about the men, the women who are talking? I'd love to hear from both Setting of you. up the action and the events in a clear and legible way. And what movie does that better in 2022 than Top Gun Maverick? It's tremendously well-structured. I will not argue that point. Structure is important. You <laughs> yes. cannot start without yes. me. <laughs> you're just saying all your stuff now. That's what yeah. you used to say as an editor. And now you're saying, okay. Best original screenplay. Here are the nominees. The Banshees of Inna Sharon, written by Martin McDonough. Everything Everywhere All at Once, written by Daniel Kwan and Daniel Scheinert. The Fablemans, written by Steven Spielberg and Tony Kushner. Tar, written by Todd Field. And Triangle of Sadness, written by Ruben Ostlund. Everything Everywhere All at Once is going to win. Yes. It won the WGA Award. It did. 
it's been winning at a lot of awards, but not all writing awards, right? It didn't it didn't win at BAFTA, right? That's true, but BAFTA and things not from, you know, the Isles or continental Europe don't go very well together. I see. Okay. We we both think Tar should win. I I think there's a strong case for the Fablemans and Banshees in this category too. Of course. Um, and this feels whereas the previous category I thought was a, was a little wonky. This one I think is loaded with talent. Yeah. Um, I mean, this is also this is always where all our faves are. You know. Yeah. And this is this just, is the best category. This is the best category, and it's the category that's most to our interests. We like things that are written. We like you know like because some movies are more visual mm-hmm. achievements and this is these all have ideas they're all pretty talky in their own way you know we'd like the this is just our taste the irony of this season to me is that in almost any other year everything ever roll at once would win in this category and in no other categories yeah. it is the kind of movie it is the charlie kaufman-esque movie right that is wildly inventive that takes huge structural and storytelling risks, that has personal voice in it, that is a story that means something to people, that resonates deeply. And then those movies usually get passed over for the big categories. So it's funny that it's probably going to win here and also dominate elsewhere. I know. It's really an unusual thing that we're experiencing with this movie, so we'll talk about it more as we keep going through this process. Speaking of, best actor in a supporting role. Mm-hmm. Here are the nominees. Brendan Gleeson in The Banshees of Sharon, Brian Tyree Henry in Causeway. Judd Hirsch in The Fablemans, Barry Keoghan in The Banshees of Sharon, and Kiwi Kwan in Everything Ever All at Once. Who's going to win this one? Kiwi Kwan. Yeah, he has... Every single award. He has suplexed his way to the, to the finish line. And you know what? He has taken all of those wins seriously, and he has prepared a speech for every single one that I find very touching. He, he understands the assignment. Do you think this will be the first award we see? Could be. I mean, traditionally, the supporting actor and actress go first in order to kind of get some super famous people up on the screen early. This this would make sense. I think he would give the show an adrenaline shot because yes. you know he's going to be fired up if he wins yes. and they might be looking to that. And, and frankly, the um, paired categories, uh, mm-hmm. actress in the supporting role is more unpredictable and they mm-hmm. may not want to do that, although we, we shall see. Right. Uh, should win. I, I I was thinking about Banshees and, and Barry Keoghan. Now, obviously, Brendan Gleeson has a much bigger role in this film. And he and, and Colin Farrell are sort of co-leads in many ways. But I think that the movie, the crux of the movie, is the tragedy of Barry Keoghan's character. And he holds the movie together in a lot of ways. And everything, the, like the absolute crushing sorrow that is like, you know, threads this movie weighs on his shoulders and your kind of sadness for him and your kind of fascination with him and your charm from him, even though he's adult, you know, and a, but like there is a, an aspect of an, 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 a non-enunciated aspect of like trauma and abuse that underlines the story. There's an oddness about people who just like can't connect with others that I think is very modern for a story that is set a hundred years ago. And he's just a, a winning actor who we really like on the show. So I'm, I'm going with Barry Keoghan. I agree with this and was going to pick him in this category, but then you did. So I just, I I put Brian Tyree Henry down because he's one of our generation's greatest actors and he deserves an Oscar. So like, let's just, let's, if not now, maybe he'll get it another time, but, but why not? I'll be surprised if he doesn't win the next 10 years. Um, I I was just looking to see whether Barry Keoghan got all his stuff back. Did you see this last night? No, what happened? Did he I saw fl- this, you yeah. saw this, yeah. He flew to LA for the Oscars, but British Airways lost his bag. And Jesus it was like, Christ. and he had to like go back to the airport, but they didn't have it. And so it was one of those like, 
desperation tweets. And then there are people in the mentions being like, you need to DM this person. Anyway, he's, I can't find the tweet now. So maybe he did get his stuff back because it's deleted. Yeah. I hope so. All I can hear in my voice is him arriving at the counter to pick up his bags and learning that they've been lost and him saying, there goes that dream. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay. Best actress in a supporting role. Angela Bassett in Black Panther Wakanda Forever. Hong Chow in The Whale. Carrie Condon in The Banshees of Anna Sharon, Jamie Lee Curtis in Everything Everywhere All at Once, and Stephanie Hsu in Everything Everywhere All at Once. So, Jamie Lee Curtis is going to win? I guess so, yeah. Isn't that crazy? It is. Now, obviously, there is a a long history of um, luminous figures in Hollywood getting their Oscar kind of near the end of their career after an incredible body of work. Jamie Lee Curtis kind of has a 100% approval rating. You know, she's a part of the Halloween franchise. She's the daughter of two huge movie stars. She is an ambassador for the unions that she's a part of. She's an ambassador for Hollywood and Hollywood storytelling. She's a really great actress with a lot of range who can do drama and comedy. And she's a genre queen. Mm-hmm. And she's been given some great speeches. But is her work and everything real once? I, like, what? Like, that's a weird character. And it's a funny character. But, like, what? I, I mean, I, I agree with you. But I also picked her I think that she will win I, so it's weird. a little bit she's they've all been working really hard on the campaign mm-hmm. trail and I don't say that like that's great they're very good at it it's been really feel good and she has been working so hard and the speeches and the campaign events and the jokes and the effusiveness for everybody else in her cast mm-hmm. and the you know and she's been playing the I'm 64 and it's nice to I've never been nominated before it's nice to have this recognition like everybody loves all of those stories I think she is still a link to old Hollywood in a way that people you know she is Hollywood royalty Mm -hmm. and and that still has power I think among the voters and in LA at large for me when she gave when she got the I'm an actor spot and then won at the SAG Awards I was like oh okay this is it and people went nuts yeah I felt the same way now you know, for, for many months, many people assumed that Angela Bassett would win for her performance in Black Panther Wakanda Forever. She, too, is a luminary, somebody who people yes. really admire, who's given great performances, been previously nominated. Um, you know, Matt Bellany, I think, who had suggested that the fact that this would be the first mar- performance in a Marvel movie to win is actually now working against her mm-hmm. because that's a concept that has been promoted and people don't love that. There's a little resentment towards superhero movies in the industry. Um, it's also just like, it's debatable whether or not this is also the kind of movie you'd want to reward Angela Bassett for. But that it will sting a little bit if she doesn't win, but Jamie Lee wins for yes. a movie that is like not her best performance. Yes. If you're going to give it to like a Jamie Lee performance over the years, I don't even know what you would give it to, like True Lies or True Trading Lies. Places or something like that. True Lies is what yeah. came to mind. Um, as far as should win, you know, you 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 picked Carrie Condon, mm-hmm. who I think I would have picked if you had not picked Carrie Condon. So oh, okay. I picked Stephanie Hsu. Yeah. Uh, I think they're both really worthy. I think um, in the same way that I think Barry Keoghan kind of unlocks his movie as the third figure in the movie, I think Stephanie Hsu also unlocks everything everywhere all at once. She has some of the big emotional moments. She also has a very uh, transformative role as um, the villain of the movie, yeah. really, um, yeah. which is kind of a fascinating thing. Why'd you pick Carrie Condon? I... I think she's wonderful, and also that's how I relate to the Banshees of Inisherin. Is as the <laughs> impatient sister on the side, being like, "Get your shit together, I'm leaving." Yeah, that is you um, on this podcast. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, so, yeah. but I think I, I think I really, she adds like the groundedness to 
the movie that is. Did you identify this when we did the pod? About yeah, this movie? I did because we did it with Chris, and I, like, yeah. I was immediately like, I'm just, I'm intruding here, and so I'm just. Cr the... is Colin Farrell. Yeah, just a good guy mm-hmm. wants to have a good time, have right. a pint, enjoy Loves life, his donkey. spend time with his family and friends. Yeah, I am a, an agonized artist who is also untalented mm-hmm. and just thinking about legacy, right, and spiteful, and I have a mean streak, but also am self mutilating. Yeah, and you are annoyed by everybody because they're dumb. Yes, and then I make my way in the world to work at a library. Does that make me Barry Keoghan, the only person I left hope, in the film? I hope <laughs> I hope it doesn't make you the cop. Yeah. <laughs> or Jenny. Oh, Ooh. Jesus. Yeah. Pure, the but... sacrificial yeah. donkey. Failed by the world. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe you're the banshee. Oh. Hey. That's right. You see all and you predict oncoming deaths. Maybe I'm out there, out there fighting in the war. Could be. You could be the soldier. Yeah. You're the true soldier of Setting this Setting bombs, bomb. you know? We might have to do a Banshee's watch. The male lady? Gosh. Mm. <laughs> it's insulting. Best actor in a leading role. Here are the nominees. Austin Butler in Elvis. Please contain yourself, Amanda. Colin Farrell in The Banshees of Inisherin. Brendan Fraser in The Whale. Paul Mescal in After Sun. And Bill Nye in Living. Who's going to win? Austin Butler. I'm just, I, you know, at some point, you if you're driving the wagon, you got to stay on it. Mm-hmm. Even if it's careening somewhere, I is I that think like it'll a sexual happen. metaphor? Driving the wagon? <laughs> what are you talking about? You know what? I am keeping this respectful, and uh-huh. you're the one who's like veering off 500 the rails. Hundred million. <laughs> okay. Anything, After your Marion Cotillard and you Anne something. Hathaway performances the other day, the the, the gall <laughs> to call Amanda out for Austin Butler. Let me tell you, she was more horned for Marion than I was. Jeez, I she's really beautiful. Yeah, um, it's funny that I'd forgotten that she was in that movie. Um, but I do love her and I love everything that uh, she gets up to, even if I don't endorse some of her political or uh, conspiratorial beliefs. If you want 500 million followers, mm-hmm. just get 400 million women to to talk about Austin Butler okay. and listen to us talk about Austin Butler because that is the power that this man has. You want to deny it. But it's just like, it's a real thing that's happening. And I don't know how I can't, yeah. I, like, yeah. you don't get it. This is what they said about David Koresh but like, right before he fucking burned down the, the compound in Waco. Every, Be careful. Everybody who is interested in men gets it. Okay. Well, I consider myself an expert in men. Okay. Uh, but not in that way. Not in that way. I think Brendan Fraser is going to win because he won the SAG Award. And he didn't win at the Golden Globes for a very obvious reason. Right. He's won a lot of critical acclaim. I bet you this is a real like 37%, 32%, 22% kind of a race. You know, like there's a lot of splitting going on here. It's very unpredictable. You and I loved Colin Farrell in Banshees. Yeah. We both would like to see Colin Farrell win an Oscar. I think, you know, it, I don't, all do three of these people are worthy. Like I, as much as I have dumped on Elvis, I, from the very first time we talked about it, I thought he was extraordinary. Would you like to talk about his WTF appearance? He was so, he's so winning. Yeah, I know. You texted me afterwards and you were like, yo, I get it. Yeah. And, which is amazing. Shout out to his team who put him on the WTF pod the week before Oscar voting because that's like the one base that he doesn't have locked down. He didn't need to go on any of my Instagram shows or whatever. He's He needed you. Yeah. And he just like hung out with Mark Marin, and you were like, yeah, man. Well, he did all the things. Yeah. He did explain the Elvis process effectively and, gra- and gracefully, pardon the pun. 
he talked about movies in a very thoughtful way for a kid who comes out of the Disney Nickelodeon system and yeah. talked about like what he really likes about movies and the mo- kinds of movies that he likes yeah. and responds to and the kinds of movies he wants to make, which makes me excited about him as a young movie star. And then he talked about his family and his mom. And I was like, oh my God, this is really effective. Like it's the old, the tropey WTF, like the, the stuff I've had to endure kind of right. stuff. And he's a young guy, but I thought he vo- spoke very thoughtfully about it. So he's yeah, the, I get it. He's great. He's the new Gosling. He's great. Yeah. No, you're right. Are you willing to put this category on the line if Austin Butler does win? Are you willing to do the entire reaction show in Austin Butler Elvis voice? (laughs) I think he might win, so I can't do that. I can't make that promise, unfortunately. I think it's a really close race, and it's good that we're splitting on this. Best Actress in a Leading Role. Also a very close race. Yeah. Kate Blanchett in Tar, Anna de Armas in Blonde, Andrea Riseborough in Two Leslie. Remember that? Michelle Williams (laughs) in The Fablemans, Michelle Yeoh. And everything everywhere all at once. We should have mentioned that the best supporting actress thing that is super weird that Jamie Lee Curtis now might win. She wouldn't have won if Michelle Williams would have just run in this category. She would have won if, she, if Michelle Williams had run in this category. She would have won out and out for the Fablemans, in my opinion. You think so? I do. But you were kind of iffy on that. I didn't love. I didn't and love it. You were uh, representing a lot of people who were like, I don't know about that. Was a lot. But there's so much respect for her as an actor, and she just happened to drive her way into. A, a, a fight for the ages between the two leading contenders in this category, plus the Andrea Riseborough thing, which kind of blotted out Michelle Williams' nomination completely. Like, nobody is thinking about that performance in this category at all. Whereas they're thinking about Kate Blanchett, they're thinking about Michelle Yeoh, and then they have to contend with the Riseborough stuff. To say nothing of Anna Darmus's transformation, which, you know, we don't like that movie, but as we know in these leading actor categories, right. if you play a real person, you tend to get a lot of respect and, and appreciation. actors really seem to like this performance. They like Blonde. Colin yeah. Farrell was moved by Blonde. Yeah, he started uh, crying. I, I think Michelle Yeoh's going to win. So do I. How does that make you feel? Happy for her. Yeah. I I mean, I think she's wonderful in it. You and I both have Kate Blanchett in Tar as as should win, which I I kind of feel like if we thought Kate Blanchett was going to win, then I would have put Michelle Yeoh in should. I don't know. I probably, I think... I, I, Tar, as you've said several times, is like probably a five star movie. Like it's just it's getting close. It's not there yet. I I think it is, and I, she's unbelievable. And the the movie for everything that I have said about the script and the cinematography and the sound and the and the, the precision and the care, like it, you know, is her. It can't work without her. Would Tar be a good movie to do a live big picture event for, like screen Tar? No, because then like. JMO will break out in hour two and we will all like that, that would be by design we will all be Lydia Tart <laughs> we would promote you know? that okay well you mean break out we would lead with JMO and then maybe big picture in part two I, JMO I JMO honestly, actually does have 500 million listeners I don't trust you in front of a live mic on hour three of what of of Tar. We just did hour three of The Dark Knight Rises and I was magnificent you I was were talking about Girl Scout cookies yeah. and all kinds of good content you don't trust me? No, you were great. I well, I mean, it would be funny. We should do Top Gun Maverick. Why? Are, why? Okay, what is all this? Right, all right. All right. Uh, let's go to best directing. Anyway, I'm happy for Michelle Yeoh. Did you see like the 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 little mini scandal of yeah. her Instagram? She I think it's okay. Posted something and deleted it. Yes, because it like maybe ran afoul of some of the like frankly Byzantine and ineffective like campaigning laws, which I I 
Bill Kramer suggested that they would be revising those, which they obviously need to do. They have to make a lot of changes because yeah. a lot of stuff happened this season that their people kind of got slapped on the wrist for, but were not really that big of an infraction. It's 2023. Social media has yeah. changed a lot of this stuff. Let's let's be clear. Michelle Yeoh winning an Oscar rules. It's great. I'll say there is a part of me that definitely still thinks that Kate Blanchett can win. A lot of the yeah, older I pundits do, I, are picking Kate Blanchett. I think this could be a place where the sense that older voters that don't get everything everywhere could reject it. Yes. I, That's possible. This also feels like 5149 to me. And this is also, I think, if Jamie Lee Curtis does not win for supporting, then that'll be a tell that maybe it's going to go Kate Blanchett's way. Because I think you and I are just have looked at the last month and been like, huh, everything everywhere all at once, huh? Like, people seemed real psyched about this. And there's a, there's a real wave, but... Things do change. Let's 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 talk about that wave okay. as we talk about directing and picture because it's all sort of related. So the nominees for directing are the Banshees of Inisherin, and Martin McDonough, Everything Everywhere All at Once, Daniel Kwan and Daniel Shiner, The Fableman, Steven Spielberg, Tar Todd Field, and for Triangle of Sadness, Ruben Ostland. We both think that the Daniels are going to win. Yes. Who do you think should win? I think Todd Field should win. I think there's a strong case for that. I've spent a lot of time emotionally reckoning with my relationship to Steven Spielberg, mm-hmm. who I now believe should win for making this incredibly perverse film about his adolescence. They're both great candidates. This is a good, pretty good category. I don't think Daniel should win at all, personally. I, Same. That's nothing against them. I just, I think what they did is like, I think that movie needed to be cut down quite a bit. And it's hard when you're a writer-director on a story like this. You can make the same case for Fablelands that it's too long. Tar is a diamond, obviously. It doesn't yeah, really need to perfect. be cut down. Um, tricky category, but it dovetails into Best Picture. And I, I just want to get right into Best Picture so that we can address like what has happened with everything ever all at once over the course of the last three months. So the Best Picture nominees are All Quiet on the Western Front, Avatar The Way of Water, The Banshees of Inisherin, Elvis, Everything Everywhere All at Once, The Fablemans, Tar, Top Gun Maverick, Triangle of Sadness, and Women Talking. What's going to win? Everything Everywhere All at Once. I agree. What do you think should win? Top Gun Maverick. Scorching take. You know what? Mr. The Oscars need to include popular movies because we have to get the ratings up because That's people what, need to go to theaters because the future of cinema depends on it. That is literally on the back of a jersey. That's my middle name. That says that on my birth certificate. Have a fucking spine. Stand up for what you believe in, which is Top Gun. Why do you just make it so personal? Well, just because Have a fucking spine? (laughs) My should win is Tar. So how about you have a spine? Yeah. Step it up. A story about a woman in peril? (laughs) (laughs) I have said that Tar should win basically every single other category but this. And I think that Tar is the best film that was Mm -hmm. released this year. Top Gun Maverick. As your friend Steven Spielberg and my friend Steven Spielberg, never forget that. It was one of my favorite movies of last year. Reminded us, saved movies. Mm-hmm. So did let's you, just... Did it really? Okay. I we just, we I'm don't have time for that debate. And, like, right, we right. don't have time. Let's wrap and it up. And I did this. Like, wrap it up. It didn't. It didn't. No, it didn't. I, John Wick 4 being three hours is like when I almost crashed my car. <laughs> just so you know. When I learned that on a podcast and I was like, fuck, so I'm going to have to see John Wick 4. Yeah, it's long. For this podcast. Yeah. And that was part of your argument that like movies are back because I have to go watch Keanu Reeves that like, shoot what I said, people for just, three hours. Just, like I can we get back I'm to the topic? I'm so ahead. unhappy. But you know what I was happy about was Top Gun Maverick. You know what like millions of people around the world were happy about? Top Gun Maverick. Like 
bring it together. Bring just it would be good for the academy. It would be good for movies. It would be good for your best friend Tom Cruise. It would be good for me. It would be good for this podcast. Just just do it. Best movie of the year. Most successful movie I'm, of the year. I'm I'm happy for you. I'm happy that it exists. Everything everyone wants is gonna win. It won SAG, PGA, DGA, and WGA. I know. Only four films have ever done that. All four of them have won the Academy Award. If it doesn't win, it will be a statistical anomaly, the likes of which the Academy Awards has never seen. And an online cultural nightmare. Correct. Now, I have made this case in the past about the extraordinary cultural shift that a movie that is largely influenced by The Matrix, Wong Kar Wai, Kung Fu Cinema, an immigrant story with a largely non-white cast from two filmmakers who got their start on YouTube that is like widely influenced by meme culture. Like there is, this is so far out of the realm of normalcy, despite the fact that it is ultimately a very sentimental story about family that makes people feel good. It's a crazy thing that this is an absolutely domineering force. And there's only been a few movies in this century that have cleaned up thus far in the way that it has. It's basically The Lord of the Rings, The Return of the King, Slumdog Millionaire, and The Artist. Those are the movies that have really kicked ass through every precursor. Now, Lord of the Rings went 11 for 11. I think Slumdog went 8 for 8, maybe 8 for 9. And The Artist won five awards. The difference between this movie and those movies is that this movie could win three acting awards. This movie could win screenplay and directing and picture. It is not going to win the big five because it is not eligible and best actor, but it's as close as we've had to a big five movie in a long, long time. The last time a movie won the big five awards was The Silence of the Lambs in 1991. Now, none of that could turn out to be true. Carrie Condon could win Best Supporting Actress. Kate Blanchett could win Best Actress. Maybe, maybe Steven Spielberg does pull out a Best Director win, and this is all for naught, but I don't think so. Like, I think it's going to be bulldozer Same. on Sunday. There's one caveat here. Old people? Old people. Yeah. Old people don't really get this movie. It's not just old people, but old Academy yes. voters. old people plus Amanda Dobbins don't really no, get this movie. No, I've, I've had some conversations okay. off the record with people who have been on this podcast who thought <laughs> that it ended uh, at that, like, joke credit sequence. Yeah. An Damien Chazelle said that? Oh. <laughs> so, <laughs> what if Damien Chazelle and I were best friends? Um, that would be I would confusing. be so jealous. That would be so <laughs> confusing. What if I was like, man, I really think we need to do another 60 on like what happened with the montage <laughs> and how you're feeling, you know? And how are we doing today? What's that mean for tomorrow? Continue. All Quiet on the Western Front is the dark, 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 dark horse in this, in this race. It's the only award that matters in the precursors that Everything Everywhere did not win is the BAFTAs. And All Quiet won at the BAFTAs. Now, the BAFTAs is historically very bad at predicting Best Picture. But, it is the movie that old people are most likely to respond to. It is the most traditional nominee here, despite the fact that there's a Steven Spielberg movie here. It's a war movie. It's a war movie that is adapted from a novel that was adapted from a novel a century ago that won Best Picture. It's a very well-made movie. It's also an international production. Now, the Academy has gotten younger and more international. Did it get young enough? It's gotten more international, and we've seen that because folks like, um, I don't know, directors from, Danish directors are winning Best Director now. You know what I mean? Like The, the Academy is changing a lot. If it wins, if All Quiet on the Western Front wins, it's, it's significant for a variety of reasons, one of which is that it's a Netflix movie and it would be Netflix's first Oscar in Best Picture. The second reason is, is that it will be an absolute cultural nightmare. Yeah. Because people are going to be like, oh, Hollywood hasn't changed. 
old, old white men mm-hmm. dictating what is the greatest art over immigrant stories, over stories about Asian identity in our country, over genre movies, over all number of yeah. outcry that we can anticipate. I don't think it's going to happen. I don't even think there's like a 5% chance that it's going to happen. But the 1% chance that it happens, <laughs> it's kind of annoying because All Quiet is it's, it's like it's good. It's not, it's not anything it's, more than good. It's like fine to good, yeah. honestly. Uh, a friend of mine who, who's like a normal movie watcher, watched it on Netflix, I guess, because she had like heard enough to know that it was like sort of in the mix, but not enough to, and she texted me afterwards and she was like, this is going to win Best Picture? Like, what's going on? And I was like, it's it's fine. I was like, this is very complicated. Like, here's a sort of thing. And she's like, I thought it was fine. And I was like, cool, me too. You know, I, but I guess war is war is, well, is war. One of the cases for winning is the preferential ballot, which is how Best Picture is voted upon. Every voter lists their films from 10 to 1. Now, the case against everything ever all at once is the contingent that doesn't like it, they could all bury it at 10. Now, will there be a lot of ballots where everything ever is at number one? I think there will. Yeah. And even at number two, with a movie like Tar or Top Gun kind of floating in that area. But there are going to be a lot where it's lower among older con- the older contingent. So as an exercise, mm-hmm. why, don't, why don't we do our preferential ballot in real time? Okay. What's your number 10? Women talking. Okay. That's, I've just, that's, that's rude. I, you know what? It's fine. It's also it's also fine, but and it, it is just actors that I like a lot in an attic talking to each other, and I think it looks pretty bad. And I haven't read the novel, but I'm not sure that it was like the exploration of the themes that I needed in this time. That's that's just me. My number ten is Elvis. Okay. What's your number nine? Elvis. I think All Quiet is my number nine. Okay. What's your number eight? I guess All Quiet is my number eight. <sighs> My number is Triangle of Sadness. And maybe that's even too high for it, the more I think about it. My number seven is Triangle of Sadness. I think my number seven is Women Talking. Okay. No shame there. It's not bad. What's your number six? Avatar, The Way of Water. That's also my number six. Yeah. I like it. it impressive. What's, Historically significant. What's your number five? Everything, Everywhere, All at Once. That's true for me as well. Yeah. Four? Banshees. Same for me. Yeah. Three is the Fablemans. Two is for me, Tar. And for, it's Top Gun Maverick. Yeah, for me. and I'm going one Top Gun Maverick. And I'm going one Tar. Okay. Everything, everyone wants going to win. I think so. How do you feel about that? At this point, happy for everyone involved who feels invested in it. I, I still, if it wins everything that we've predicted, it's it wins. I am still sort of surprised. I'd like kind of baffled. Not like it not in a bad way and not because I didn't connect with it, but I'm just like this is a very unpredictable movie to have when best picture, best director, best actress, best supporting actress, best supporting actor screenplay. Like that's wild. That's like the greatest movies in history haven't, you know, won any of those. I don't even know what to I don't know. I, I, like what explains it? How how is this happening? In 50 years, will people look... Because younger people do like this movie a lot. Bobby, yeah. you and I have not really talked about this movie too much. But like, I know Craig Horbeck, for example, is a big fan of this movie. I think it's good. Good to really good. I would not put it in my top three of this year. Even of the nominated movies. In 50 years, will we be like, this is our The Godfather? I'm not being glib when I say that. I'm asking sincerely. I don't think we'll be like this is the godfather because what i'm saying is is like could this be and i was having i was discussing this with andy greenwald today i was like will this radically influence 
the future of movies. This filmmaking style, this tone, th- these kinds of stories. It, when a movie like this rises to the top of the heap, there are reverberations usually. Now, there have been some examples of like unusual stories. I, you know, you make fun of me for talking about The Shape of Water being a big ch- shift, but that was like a period piece and it was very influenced by old Hollywood and Guillermo del Toro had been nominated before and he's this old figure. These guys are newcomers. These guys, like, this is their second feature. They haven't, done, they've hardly done anything in Hollywood. So is this like the announcement of a new generation of movies? I guess we can wait until Sunday maybe to talk about that. But I, I think that that's an interesting thing to be faced with. Because there's a lot of old guard stuff going on here. You know, there's the Top Gun Mavericks and there's the Fablemans and Banshees of Inisherin. These are kind of classical movies that are being recognized um, by the Academy. And then there's this thing that is like new movie making. And I guess we'll wait and see until Sunday night. Yeah, I have some theories. I'll save them. Okay. Bobby, thank you. Nice to see you in person. Great to see you. Bob's our producer on this show. We're going to see you Sunday night, immediately after the Academy Awards. Tune in. See you then. This episode is brought to you by Empower. You got money questions like, can I retire early? What are my best savings options? Can I afford to pay for my kid's education? Luckily, Empower has all the answers. With Empower's real-time dashboard and real live conversations, you get clarity on your real-life financial goals. So join 18 million Americans and Empower What's Next. Start today at Empower.com. Tap the banner or visit this episode's page to learn more. Sponsored by Empower, not an endorsement or a statement of satisfaction by a client. This episode is brought to you by Lululemon. Guys, if you're ready for a new pair of pants, try one of Lululemon's ABC Pants. They're made to make you look and feel good. And there's lots of different styles to choose from. My favorite, because I walk around LA every day, I like the joggers. I'm not jogging, I'm just walking fast. But if you're working out, I would try them out. And if you want something a little sleek, maybe business-like, maybe try the ABC Slim Fit Trouser, but I am a joggers guy. I just, once COVID happened, I was just like, I'm, I want to wear jogging pants and joggers and all kinds of soft pants as much as I possibly can, especially when I'm working out. Ultra comfortable and versatile ABC pants are really in a league of their own. Buy a pair right now at lululemon.com.